Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, August the 13th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. Hi. Mr. Bob Ryer. Hey, yeah. And the very much deeper voice, Mr. Justin Townsend. Hey there. Stephanie is away on employment. I guess hmm. right. She's uh, she's working, so she cannot be with us t- this week. Um, so we asked Justin to walk on in. So we're having a little boys club today. I'm very boys, excited to be club. with uh, you, fine-looking gentleman. <laughs> you sound, <laughs> yeah, you sound, you sound super excited. Very excited. So yeah, Justin is joining us. Uh, thank you, Justin, for uh, for stepping in. Thanks for having me. So this week on the show, we're going to be doing a little bit of listener questions show. Uh, you guys send in your questions, Twitter, Facebook, and we've got some um, from the forums as well that we're, that we're going to talk about. Um, so thank you guys for sending those in. Um, we have some happy stuff to get to and some, some sad news to get to. We'll mm. wait for the sad news, I think, right before the break. So we'll go into the break after the sad news so we're not trying to sandwich. So everybody can leave com- and go get a tissue? Exactly. Some comic book talk outside of the the kind of sad stuff that happened sounds um, like a plan yeah so uh before we get to that so we have some news to, to to chat about here um so the sales numbers came out uh for july of 2014 um and no surprise here rocket raccoon the number one uh book uh 293 000, uh sold that's Sweet. kind of a surprise yeah that's i mean a big number i think it's 150,000 of them went to that loot crate uh site which is people know what loot crate is it's kind of a cool thing i think it's like ten dollars a month something like that um you get delivered basically a, a surprise box of geek oriented stuff uh, every week it could be figures comic books video game related stuff comic book, whatever it's going to be um and it, and they apparently scooped up about scooped up about one hundred fifty thousand of the rocket raccoons uh for that that still leaves mm-hmm. it at about one hundred and forty thousand units for the month which would put it um you know well ahead of the number two Anyway, mm-hmm. um, and we'll see what number two came out this week. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, when sure. The now, what's interesting is one of our friends of the show, and she posted on the forum, uh, Lauren, that as I always yak about when I saw Batman in the theaters with Adam West, they were giving away free comic books. Mm-hmm. If they could throw 150,000 copies, in essence, away of Rocket Raccoon as a premium mm-hmm. in the loot crate, wow, giving it out in the theater might have been fun to people who don't even read comics, who might have said, that talking raccoon with the gun is gosh darn cool. I'd like to read some of his comic books. Um, to be fair, I think they. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming Luke Crate bought the books from Marvel. I don't think. Yeah, they I'm sure to discount. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, if you're gonna buy 150,000 books, I'm sure they're gonna give you a bulk. They get a bulk discount. I can get it for you wholesale. Yeah, yeah. Um, but very cool. I mean, still a huge, huge yeah. debut for Rocket Raccoon, and that's even before the movie came out. So yeah, I'm interested right. to see what happens with this next, um, with with this with this next issue that we're mm-hmm. talking a little about a little later. Um, Number two, uh, 
which is it's always number two or number one. It seems like it's always number two behind like the new number one of yeah. the month. Uh, Batman number thirty three at one hundred and seventeen thousand nine hundred and ninety six. Now I don't usually say the second part, but I only say that because Amazing Spider Man number four came in at number three with one hundred and seventeen thousand nine hundred and seventeen copies sold. Ooh, so Rob s- should have bought more copies. Yeah, so sixty <laughs> sixty copies separated Spider Man and Batman um, in the in the top two and three. There, uh, number four, original sin, number five at ninety one thousand, which that seems to be holding up very, very well um, uh, for its issues. Um, number five is, uh, I guess, it's it's a surprise yeah. to me. Um, Spider Man twenty ninety nine, number one at ninety thousand units. Wow, for the month, mm. um, big. I'm sure we'll see a rather sizable drop uh, next mm. month, but still, that's still really, really good. We also have the Spider Verse coming. It may, yeah, it may it take it might another help, tick yeah. up later because i think he's a big deal with that he is absolutely um and we'll talk a little more about that a little bit later too one of justin's mm, books yep. um uh number six is original sin number six um so that's about one hundred and seventy thousand units of original sin sold you know it's gonna change yeah. the marvel universe forever forever, forever. until september yeah exactly <laughs> um number seven justice league number 32 at eighty eight thousand, which had a nice uptick too yeah number eight uh, Grayson, again, I was surprised by this as well. Oh, that's cool. Um, uh, 81,000 sold. Hmm. Um, and uh, number nine, Legendary Star-Lord at 78,000. So it's very obvious that the movie is definitely engendering some, at least among, I, mean, I don't know if it, it's leaked out to not comic book fans, but definitely within comic book fans, they're scooping up those Guardians of the Galaxy Yeah, whether books. people have been in the mood for more or people are coming to the books to check them out for the first time. Yeah. It's, it's equaling to books sold, which is good. Yeah. Either yeah. one. Um, number 10, number 10, continuing to be just one of the standout sellers of the year, Harley Quinn, number eight at 76,000 copies. Wow. Um, number 11, Amazing Spider-Man 1.3 at 74,000. So even the subset of the Amazing Spider-Man book is selling 75,000 copies. Um, number 12, The Walking Dead, our first, um, entrance from Image, um, 129 at 72,000. Um, Sam and Overture number three. It's still, I mean, despite all the delays and stuff, still selling well. Seventy-two thousand uh, copies. Uh, took took a month. good dump though. Twenty-one. <laughs> no, no, I don't mean it that way. Uh, Twenty. It, it did that too because then it was three months late. Yeah. Uh, at the very least, twenty-one percent drop between two and three. Yeah. Um, but I, I expect it to be more. To be yeah. honest with you, and it's not there yet. Um, Superman Unchained number seven at sixty-nine thousand. Another book that suffered from a lot of delays. Um, number fifteen, Batman Superman. At sixty-eight thousand, um, number sixteen, Har- Harley Quinn enters again. Harley Quinn invades Comic Con International, San Diego. Sixty-four thousand copies. So, you know, basically one hundred and fifty thousand copies of Harley Quinn books are being sold uh, uh, last month, which is pretty impressive. Um, Batman Eternal, uh, number thirteen and fourteen, come in at number seventeen and eighteen, both about sixty-three thousand. A uh, very respectable for a, a weekly book. Um, Superman, uh, number 33, 62,000. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy, number 17, comes at number 20 with 62,000, nearly 63,000 copies uh, um, sold. And then, um, you know, we got some, the next three books, next four, next five books are Batman books. Um, Eternals and Robin Rises and Detective. Um, Robin Rises is a good number at 60. Yeah, no, it did. 60,000 copies, Robin Rises. Um, that was a $5 book. Yeah, yeah, it was. So that's good. They made some money on that. Um, that Life with Ar- Archie book ended with 57,000 copies sold. Nice. Um, which I, I I can't remember the last time we saw Archie on any of these charts. So that's pretty great. Good for them. Good for them. Um, it definitely worked. Um, I was thinking about that on the way over here today. Uh, then you're just thinking about it? 
Yeah, I was thinking about that book. Archie. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I was just, because I, I remember that we were all, I was like, what was that book that we were all floored by? Mm. It was like a few weeks, and I was like, ah, oh, Life with Archie, number six. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. Afterlife. Right. Afterlife. Oh. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is not Afterlife. What did I say? This, this is just Life, Life with Archie. This is one where he got, he, got, he got shot. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> um, and then um, we got Saga comes in uh, at number 30, uh, 55,000. Um, outcast by Kirkman and as as a seta, as seta, uh, fifty five thousand. Uh, some Deadpool, we got some Teen Titans. Uh, you know, um, filling it out. Um, so uh, yeah, that's the the top. Storm, new number one. It came in at forty seven thousand. Number forty six. Um, it's the hundredth anniversary of, of Spider Man. Those issues that came in at forty six thousand. Um, Low came in at forty three thousand. Excuse me, sorry. So um, some good stuff there. Yeah. Where is um. Where's Guardians proper on that list? Guardians was number 20. Yeah, 62,000. Up 14%. Too. Yeah. Interested to see if there's an increase next month for it. Yeah, it's oh. interesting. I think I think you're going to more see that increase in trade form than you are going to see it in single issue. Because at this point, we're at issue 17. It's, I think it's tough for people just to walk in and be they're like, yeah, like, let me... They're right in the middle of yeah. stuff, yeah, too. Where there's, you Time know, for a relaunch. Yeah. yeah. All new now, now, number one. Yeah, and yeah. they look at that book, and all of a sudden, they, they, see, you know, they see Captain Marvel. They see... Venom. Angela. They see Van- Venom. <laughs> it's not going to line up with what they saw in the movie. So I think you're going to see a lot more going yeah. for those... Um, Better off picking up Rocket Raccoon at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Or Should Legendary Star-Lord. Star-Lord. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's exactly... I, I like, yeah. No mistake that Marvel had those books coming out the week after the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, was out. But you find it fascinating that we have a Doctor Who book on here? There's, yeah, there's, they, just, they just launched They launched the Tenth Doctor and the Eleventh Doctor. I yeah, believe. from Titan, forty-one thousand copies. Yeah, that's not bad. No, for Titan, it's got to be. It's got to be high uh, up there. Yeah, most the Doctor Who launches. fans are feverish, and they're like, feverish right now, especially because it, it, it's, it's next it's coming. Yeah, so I, I think yeah. people are are going for it. Yeah, very good job for that Doctor Who. Absolutely did well. Um, that outsold the. Uh, that was the Eleventh Doctor, right? Right. Um, it's it outsold the Tenth Doctor by quite a bit, I think. Damn. Um, that's the newest one. You have to refresh my memory. The eleventh no, is the Capaldi. The Tennant is eleventh is David Tennant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, wait. Yeah. Yeah. Christopher Eccleston is ten. Then, yes. Then David. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 11, you're right. So then Matt Smith Matt is twelve. Yeah. Matt Smith is twelfth yeah. Doctor. Yeah. I'm lost. Yeah. Yeah. And then now Peter Capaldi is the thirteenth Doctor. Yep. See, I, I remember. It's all right, Tom Bob. Baker. I've fallen so, away so far. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's Doctor right. Do you watch Doctor Who? Just passed me completely by. You'd like it. I'm, I've always heard that, and I've been interested to watch it. And one of my friends just swears by it, and he likes to draw Daleks everywhere. And I'm like, <laughs> "What are you drawing?" Uh, I have to check it out. Uh, I don't know where to jump in with it. Though. I would recommend to you. I mean, you can always jump in with the Eccleston stuff because when if you go on like Netflix or whatever, um, they have like the old classic stuff that's all labeled like as names of series or names of movies or whatever. Just go to like it would be Doctor Who series one. And it will be 2000 and, I don't know, 2006 or something like that. Something like that, Something yeah. like that. Um, and it'll be Christopher Eccleston, and, um, David Tennant, and then Matt Smith. Uh, you could honestly, the, if you, the thing I always advise people kind of is to jump in actually with the first Matt Smith season. Because if you're used to watching modern television, it's the most looking like modern television. It's true. Um, and I think it's a little more digestible for new people to come into. And then if you like what you're seeing with Matt Smith go back and watch start from the beginning of the Eccleston stuff because then you have investment in the character and it will take you through All right. everything I'll give it a shot if you yeah. go way back it is gonna look like American children's television mm-hmm. television from the 60s yeah it's pretty bad it's, it's not even 60s Star Trek or Lost in Space or Voice of the Bottom of the Sea it is Land of the Lost cardboard yeah, gotcha. sets but it has wonderful energy yes and smart stories yeah yeah but you've got to set your mind back you and do, say yeah. Okay, that's not really a ray gun. It's a salt shaker. Yeah, you literally can be like, 
that's a vacuum hose. Like, yeah, I can tell right, that's yeah. a vacuum hose. They even dress it up well. Um, but there are some good stories <laughs> in, in, the, in those early early Doctor Whos. Um, aren't there some sort of jam episodes where there are four or five doctors at once? Yeah, they do a couple of them. They, uh, they do, like, the three doctors, the four doctors. It's cool. Those episodes are cool. Um, yeah, that sounds good. Some of the best obvious uh, bad weapons in a movie. Leprechaun 4 in space. They didn't even care. They, this shocks me that you're saying they that. They spray painted <laughs> super soakers. They just took silver and black on some super soakers and were like, there you go. This is your gun. No, that's just imagination. Oh. Do you know the story? James Cameron, the James Cameron. Now, when he was Jim Cameron, uh-huh. he was Roger Corman's truck driver. <laughs> and he eventually got noticed because he was a very good artist. <laughs> that drawing that Jack does in Titanic is actually by Jim Cameron. Oh. He's very, very good. He became Corman's art director slash truck driver. Wow. <laughs> so that in, so they were making Battle Beyond the Stars, which is their outer space version of Magnificent Seven, and they needed to dress the walls of the spaceship. So basically he sent them to McDonald's to buy styrofoam containers that he glued to the wall and painted silver. It's inside <laughs> of a spaceship. And a fun fact for Justin, throughout the years we've been doing this podcast, that's the third time that this movie has come up. <laughs> also doesn't shock me. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Um, going to the trade paperbacks, uh, Walking Dead Volume Twenty One, All Out War Part Two is our number one book. Twenty three thousand copies, twenty four thousand really. The number two is six thousand copies, so that's going to tell you how big Walking Dead still is. Number two is Avatar: The Last Airbender Volume Eight. Ooh. Um, uh, number three is Deadly Class Volume One, yeah. which is five thousand. Uh, vo- uh, number four is Saga Volume One. What five thousand copies? It just keeps going. Wow. Um, number five, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley Seconds with uh, awesome. about, about five thousand. Um, it's good. It's a twenty-five dollar book. It's one of the most expensive books on the on the list. Um, worth it though. Definitely worth it. Did you read it? Yeah. Oh, cool. What do yeah. you think? Terrific. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, number six, Deadpool Volume Five, Wedding of Deadpool. Uh, f- it's about four thousand. About almost the exact, literally mm-hmm. one copy less than Seconds. <gasps> was Deadpool Volume Five, Saga Volume Three. Then we got the Star Wars uh, Batman Volume One, The Court of Owls, still doing well, and Lazarus Volume Two, Lift, runs out your top ten. And for That's all cool. the fans, Rat Queens. Yeah, number eleven, still on there. That's like it's yeah, four thousand copies. Yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. Lazarus was number ten. Yeah, Lazarus Volume Two. That's pretty awesome because I remember hearing that that wasn't really selling all that well. No, in not singles, at all. I guess yeah, no trades. It's nice to know that people are reading it though. Yeah, the trade sells just as much as any of the single issues sell. Cool. Um, so. Uh, Unlike the last couple of months, uh, the top 300 comics sold 8.09 million copies. That's up 11% versus the same month of the previous year. Um, so we've got, uh, but for the year total, 46 million copies sold, down 5%. Um, but uh, all comics sold by Diamond and Units, up 14% versus the same month previous year. Um, they made $30.62 million to the comics, so that's up 14% from last year so we're almost even from last year now with total dollars 175 million so far uh down one percent uh versus the previous year now did you notice the weird correction remember last month we were discussing how some of the dc books had gone up 40 percent some Mm -hmm. of them month to month Mm -hmm. and yet their percentage of the market on dollars and units was exactly the same and it's this what happened there that's just not possible mathematically not that i'm a math teacher but it just didn't seem right Mm -hmm. Almost all their books had a correction negatively. Oh, really? Wow. Right. And some of them 17%, 20%, some 43% for Catwoman, but that could just be because it's Catwoman. <laughs> but the numbers are still the same. It's Marvel uh, unit sales were 38%, DC's 31, Image 9.8, uh, dollar sales 35, Marvel 28, DC 9 and some change, Image. Mm. So those numbers 
virtually the same yeah. month after month. And yet DC's individual sales books, uh, sales numbers on the books were way, way up. And I said, mm. there's something screwy about that. And it, it's gone unnoticed. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be Diamond, right? Diamond does all that reporting yeah. to them. Um, it's interesting. I, I mean, I heard uh, something <clears throat> about uh, Ms. Marvel. It was on. A, it was a news item on Billion Cool, and who knows if it was true or not. It was just like, oh, mm-hmm. I heard somebody at Marvel tell me this, which who the fuck knows yeah. if that you know Thank how reliable you, that is. Um, but it could be like you know the the male guy at Marvel, yeah. but it never identifies who these people are. But said that Ms. Marvel actually sells more digitally than it does in print. Wow, and it was at number eighty six. Yeah, how many copies? Thirty six thousand, up six percent. So you're probably looking at another probably another forty thousand digitally. And he said that's that's totally different than everything else. Everything else, it's like usually, it's around ten or twelve percent of the of the physical sales sell digitally. They don't release the digital numbers. No, they never mm-hmm. do. They should start doing that because they don't have to. That's why. <laughs> that's why they do it because they don't have to. It's a creative bookkeeping. Yeah, you look at any company, look at video game companies. They never release those. Like they like, oh, this is the fastest selling thing. But they never tell you what that means. <laughs> they just tell you it was the fastest selling <laughs> thing. Um, now, one of that sort of thing applies. The rest of those new launches, the female books, are all selling between. 25 to the 36,000. Right. I'm sure it's a lot of new eyes. Yeah. But it'd be interesting to know what the digital numbers on all these books that are geared to people who aren't necessarily going into comic book stores. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I'm going to bet you that there'll be big numbers on the Guardian stuff um, yeah. digitally in the next couple of weeks. I'm interested always to see that. I would always, I'd like to be able to track like how the digital sales spike after movies. Because I don't even me, even before I was really reading stuff, it was right before we started doing this, but after, even if I saw the Green Lantern movie, which I didn't even love, I like went on Comixology and bought like a ton of Green Lantern stuff because mm-hmm. I wanted to read more. You know, so I wonder how that stuff, how that stuff tracks. Um, but those are the sales numbers um, for the month. So pretty good month uh, overall. Yeah. Um, so we just had a big Guardians of the Galaxy uh, announcement, and then um, only I think it was two days ago, yesterday, the day before, Vin Diesel was uh, teasing. Um, <laughs> it, the tease. It, it teased in a in a very um, in a very not subtle way. Um, uh, let's see. Here we go. Um, he said, "Vin and Marvel, you all made it happen." I get the strange feeling that Marvel thinks I'm inhuman. Ha ha. <laughs> and then today, Collider was reporting that Marvel has a completed script for an Inhuman film, written by John Robert Cole, who much um, uh, like the um, God, I can't remember her name, Pamela, the, the Guardians writer, co-writer. Uh, Perlman. Perlman. Nicole, uh, Perlman. Nicole Perlman. Yeah. Uh, came out of the Marvel writing program. Uh, so they have a script, they like it, um, and now they're out looking uh, for directors. And the and the the kind of feeling is that because Guardians was so successful, um, and because it was also successful while being so daring, that they're looking for someone to similar in the similar vein uh, to James Gunn to to take on the Inhumans. Mm. Um, so Bob, as the as the foremost opinion on well, just about everything, but especially on <laughs> stuff Fantastic like the, Four related stuff. Yeah, what, what, how do you feel about this? They needed to move to the Inhumans to stop them having a mutant problem. Mm since that's apparently owned by Fox, you can't say mutant. Yeah. Even if it's a mutant string bean, you can't call it a mutant <laughs> string bean. The Inhumans are, have such a rich history tied into so many of the Marvel books and their deep history and the Cree, because they are actually a Cree experiment. Mm-hmm. So we have all that going. Wow. Vin Diesel as Black Bolt. How <laughs> cool would that be, right? I saw somebody online tell, saying that that was not a good idea. And I say, bah. Yeah. I agree. I think that would be amazing. Look, he could, he could play Gorgon or whatever, but having him have just mm. s- sit there He's and... He's going to be no- Lockjaw. 
You got to have lockjaw. I mean, that's going to be the coolest thing, right? Seeing a giant fucking dog walking yeah. around on screen. That can teleport between dimensions. Yeah. And with Black Bolt, he wouldn't have to talk. Exactly. So he wouldn't get the voices confused. <laughs> but when he, when he does, yeah. worlds shatter. Yeah. Could go in that little pocket dimension thing he did, remember, in, in um, what was uh, it? New Avengers? In New Avengers, where it was like he could t- actually talk to people. Oh, my God. Well, when they're they're trapped behind a negative, oh boy, here we go. I'm going to look like the geek I am here. Well, before we, actually, before we get into that, I, I want to know some people. I mean, we've talked about the humans before, but I don't know if everybody knows you know who they are. So if you wanted to maybe Bob just say like who, what the human race is. The first time you see them, it's Medusa, who's part of the Frightful Four, and they're fighting against the Fantastic. It's the Wizard, the Sandman, Medusa, and at that point he was Paste Pot Pete who turned himself into the trapster. Amazing. It's an eclectic Pete group. P- yeah. Pete, Pete Podolsky was his name. He had a gun with glue. He fought the human torch. But he needed a better name. With a hot glue gun? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And they had this mysterious woman with all this hair. And they actually defeat the Fantastic Four twice. And then she and Johnny are sort of you know, Johnny falls for her. Looks a lot of red hair. She's really very pretty. <laughs> They've captured Ben Grimm, turned against the Fantastic Four, and she escapes with him on her tail. She eventually kidnaps him, and her memory starts to return that she realizes who she is when Gorgon comes charging back from the Himalayas to come get her. She goes back. He goes back with her, falls in love with Crystal, and in the midst of that, Maximus the Mad, Black Bolt's brother, to stop them from mingling, creates a giant dome over their city that nothing can get through. And Johnny's trying to get through, the FF trying to find a way. And then in FF50, Black Bolt opens his mouth <laughs> and shatters. The, actually, it's 47. No, 48. That's 48. Whatever. <laughs> shatters the dome with you know, one word. The city's destroyed, mm. but they're free because right. they're going to choke to death and die. And from there on, it just exploded outwards. They, they, once they were part of the human society again, mm-hmm. whatever book you could throw someone, Crystal joined the Fantastic Four while Sue was pregnant. Medusa has team-ups with Spidey. We go into space. They have their own miniseries that Neil Adams is doing. Just a great set of characters, and you could always withstand it, make life very easily. They're born that way. Yeah. <laughs> Origins? Who cares? I want a guy who looks like the creature from the Black Lagoon, Triton. He's, he's an inhuman. So they are ancient humans who they've been adapted by the Kree who right. came here to play right so what? there's a science experiment gone wrong yeah. it's now been expanded out but the whole Terrigen mist idea yeah where that creates sort of in puberty or when it's your time your powers emerge because you've been misted mm-hmm. so they were originally humans experimented on by the Kree right kind of ma- a- apes Right, well, whatever. Turned but, into humans. Yeah, yeah. But turned into inhumans. Earth. Earth. Earth people. Earth people um, turned into these kind of heroes mm-hmm. or these, these, this kind of other race. Well, when Kirby would draw Adelon, their, their city, he was Jack Kirby. So there were 4,000 heroes drawing today, <laughs> flying and hopping and running and limbs and monsters and heroes and mm. lockjaw. Yeah, <laughs> which I'm, that's the thing I'm most excited about. Yes. <laughs> you, you haven't lived till you've seen that there's a cartoon episode where Ben Grimm is trying to walk Lockjaw. <laughs> just dragging him through dimensions. Mm-hmm. And I think that, right, so um, I think that probably because Black Bolt doesn't talk, then assumingly Medusa would really kind of be the lead in the movie. Yeah, she knows exactly what he's thinking and right. saying. Mm-hmm. She is the queen, after all. Yeah. Justin, 
I want to ask you a question. First of all, what do you think of Guardians? Because you weren't here. Um, and uh, what do you think about this Inhumans idea? I loved Guardians way more than I thought was possible. <laughs> like uh, Going into it, I was hopeful that it just wasn't going to be a train wreck. Um, I didn't want to see the Marvel train stop, and this <laughs> was the one that worried me the most. Uh, but going into it, like it had a lot of positive reviews, and people were like, oh, it's really funny. But you know when people think things are funny, you're like, yeah, but I don't know if that's my type of humor. Mm. Like... Is it Adam Sandler humor? <laughs> I, was wor- I was worried if it was going to be like like, um, like the big population type humor where everyone's just laughing right. at anything. And then that, while I was seeing it, I was like, no, this is actually one of the funniest movies I personally have ever seen. Uh, so I loved it up and down. I saw it twice. Uh, it got better the second time because I could hear some of the jokes I couldn't hear because I was laughing the first time. Uh, so yeah, uh, Guardians is now my second favorite of all the Marvel movies. I have to find something that tops the Avengers, like seeing the Avengers all together on one screen. But seeing Thanos actually and Infinity Gems is like a very close second. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was, I was a big fan. As far as the, um, the Inhumans go, like it's the one area of the Marvel Universe that I'm not that up on. Um, I, I got back into comics, I think it was on the last, the last time I was on the show, uh, I was saying how I got back into it. And I, I've explored most of the Marvel Universe, but in, the Inhumans have somehow escaped me. So... To see them, like, what, uh, what's the name of the series? In, uh, Inhumanity was yeah. the name mm-hmm. of the series. So I was excited, like, okay, we're going to do something. I'm going to get involved with this. I'm probably going to learn about it. Because my only experience with them has been Black Bolt and the Illuminati mm-hmm. or in New Avengers. So I was really hoping for that to take off. It hasn't yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, sure, bring it on. I mean, <laughs> I, I, they got a talking raccoon and tree. They could pretty much do whatever they want. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Steve? Are you excited about some Inhumans? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I've had uh, a little bit of a hist- uh, history with the Inhumans. They showed up in uh, Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four run, which is probably still my my favorite thing that I've read. And uh, yeah, I after seeing something like the the Celestials in Guardians of the Galaxy, the idea of them going even farther into the cosmos and picking out the Inhumans and just upping upping the bar, like they they did that with Guardians. You know, Guardians has now paved the way for Marvel to do crazy, crazy shit. And whether it stays number one, two weekends, three weekends in a row or not, there are a lot of people that are into this. And it's probably the most like accessible of all the Marvel films, I would say. Uh, so to, th- to think of them doing another one and just to see Medusa on screen and what they'll do, like hair effects and stuff like that. And the casting choices, like if you got Andy Serkis to be Lockjaw or something like that. <laughs> Andy like, Serkis is just everything. It yeah. could happen. Yeah, it it could, could really could happen. happen. That yeah. guy's, first of all, he's everywhere. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And second, Marvel has been doing just incredible things casting-wise, and they're at the point where they're such a respectable brand that all of these seasoned professional <laughs> actors, not to say yeah. that other people aren't professional, yeah. but not only like will they get involved in it, they openly... Like declare, op- like to to a news outlet, I would like to be this person. Mm-hmm. Just hoping that they get a phone call and like, hey, you know, we, you want to come in? Yeah, it pretty much skyrockets your brand. Yeah, yeah. and if they're go- they're going to do the Inhumans, it just makes the Marvel film verse that much bigger, that much weirder. And with stuff like Guardians, I loved that. With Guardians, like I haven't seen a movie like that. I feel like since the eighties. Like I know it was steeped in a lot mm. of that culture, seventies and eighties stuff. But it really was a feel-good movie. I don't remember the last time I walked away from a you know quote-unquote mm. feel-good movie, 
And I left and I was dancing. I was downloading the soundtrack. I was listening to it. I was making food. I don't do that stuff ever. So to usher in more stuff and more weirdness and a wider range of characters and get more people into this, you know, other world and outside of, I still love Cap and Thor Mm. and Iron Man and all of those characters, but I am so ready for an influx of new material from them. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think that you make a good point, too, because I think that this summer is, we've seen, a, I think, a lot of really good movies th- this summer, especially big movies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Cap was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, Godzilla, I thought, was great. Awesome. Um, you know, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was fucking amazing. But all of those movies are really serious about the, their their subject matter, you know, and um, super serious about it. You, know, you don't walk yeah. out of, you, I mean, I loved Cap, but I didn't walk out being like, fuck. Yeah, you know, I walked up being like, "That was really good and really interesting and really deep." Um, and Guardians has depth to it, but it, you know, it also had that explosion of, of fun to it. And I think that I don't know if the Inhumans would be uh, in in exactly the same vein as that because there's a little bit more kind of um, Shakespeare going on, you know, oh, in Inhumans. I think Inhumans is a little bit closer to kind of that Thor feeling in some ways, as far as mm-hmm. interpersonal relationships. A little bit more Macbeth than King Lear, but definitely the Bard. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and so, but I think it's I think it's Fun because I also think that I mean he, they've denied this because people are thinking well Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are probably going to end up being inhumans inhumans because they need to mm-hmm. they need to get around the mutant thing and there's so few mutants in their verse that if they do it to a couple that they actually have it's not a big deal they said that's not what it's going to be they're not they're not going to be inhumans but I can tell you this I think that it's a very smart way to do a Carol Danvers Captain Marvel origin without having to bring in Marvel and a whole story about that and the the Psycho Megatron and all and yeah. all that stuff making her an inhuman much like obviously Ms Marvel right now is an inhuman I think is a smart not a shortcut but an easier way to get there sure. than cuz you have to do somebody else's story before you do Carol's story if mm-hmm. you're going to make her Ms Marvel or Captain Marvel. Right, if she's just a human woman who doesn't realize she has inhuman genes and yeah. the bomb goes off. Yeah, exactly. Then it's still yeah. it's still similar cuz it's still it's Cree technology, it's her being in the, a blast radius of something, but they don't have to go into the Marvel story, which is a shame cuz it's a great story. Um, but that's that's like th- two movies of stuff before you'd get we make it. Her. We could go back around to him. We could. Yeah. Eventually, she discovers there is somebody else with that name and mm. power set. Right. Yeah. That's so you, true. You tell his story second, but it's still there. Yeah. It still would resonate. And I think it's a great idea for them. I think it's great. To, they. They. I think they've realized, and they probably knew this beforehand too. But with Guardians, they can create something that wasn't anything before, mm-hmm. and uh, they're going to try to do that. I think with the Inhumans. Well, they've laid all. the groundwork for that trust. Yeah. You know, they've yeah. come out with stellar film after stellar film, and people now trust them if you just you tell them it's a marvel movie you barely need any convincing mm-hmm. to get a, a you know a top grossing opening weekend people will go not just it, top grossing but like 94 million dollars yeah which august record yeah. blew yeah. away the august record by like 30 something million bucks yeah. so. for a complex series that nobody really has ever heard mm-hmm. of and yeah. who's to say like what kind of tone they go with this if guardians was you know the like the breakfast club of you know, cosmic movies, why not go with like a, like a moon or a 2001 space odyssey kind of vibe for Inhumans and make it, you know, like Mm -hmm. lots and lots of like heavy gravity to it and stuff like that. And these characters are not to say you can't have fun, but it would be really cool to see them do like a, like a bold faced space movie. Mm. Awesome. No, that's, that sounds Maybe that's a Nova movie. Or a Quasar movie. Yeah, if you want to I get think you're going to really, see a Nova movie. I think they should. Yeah. 
they had the, me, uh, didn't pay me. Nova. They had the uh, <laughs> the concept art for Nova hidden in uh, yeah, yeah. The, one of the Guardians concepts, like a Guardians concept art, and there was Nova completely in the in the helm and everything, and he looked awesome. So wow. hopefully, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely, hopefully. Um, moving on to some uh, comic book news. Um, DC has announced another entry into the ever-growing Batman uh, franchise, uh, Gotham by Midnight. This is by Ray Fox and with art by Ben Templesmith. Um, this is going to be... Um, so I'm going to read you the, the, the quote here. This is from um, J- uh, Ray Fox. Uh, Jim Corgan's terrible secret is he carries the divine judgment of God around in his body, not of his own free will. So he's better motivated than anybody to get involved wherever a big supernatural monster shows up on the scene. If he doesn't do something sooner or later, the Spectre is going to handle it, and he has an Old Testament way of handling things. We will be seeing the Spectre here and there, but that's usually what happens when Corgan messes up and doesn't get it handled in time. Um, they kind of... Uh, so it's dealing with the Gotham PD and Detective Jim Corrigan, mm-hmm. uh, they said it's going to be kind of Batman meets the X Files is the is the the pitch that hmm. they laid down. Um, Bob, what do you think about this? I love the Spectre, mm-hmm. and it is Old Testament. In his original appearances, he turned people into skeletons and ate them, and <laughs> he was a bad guy to mess with. <laughs> he was a detective who gets pushed off a pier investigating a case and comes back because well, the universe needs someone to judge. Mm-hmm. He judges harshly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Make Spawn look like Judge Judy. Okay, <laughs> this is what we're dealing with. They here. should put that on the cover. I'll, I'll take that as a pull quote. I this this one really gets to me. I, I love this now. Temple Smith's your guy. Yeah, I know. So this yeah, this yeah. is he my friend. This could be perfect. Yeah, yeah. What <laughs> really. do you think about that? Oh well, of course I think it's awesome. Uh, yeah, no, we had a, we had a listener question come in, so he was like, "Oh my god, I can't wait to hear Steve gush." Yeah, uh, Ben Templesmith on a Batman book. Um, I guess again, he's probably done Batman before. He did that Legends of the Dark Knight. I thought so uh, for a little bit, but I don't know if he's ever done um, like print first Batman before. All right, was it? It was it. Though Ray- he's not doing Batman anyway. This is not. This yeah, Batman's not a character in it. All right, so Ray Fox. This is spinning out of Batman Eternal. That's what they're saying, yeah, okay. out of the events of Batman Eternal. Okay, yeah. and and Fox has been working on that book, which has really kind of come into its own, and I'm I'm enjoying it quite a bit now. Uh, and then he did some stuff with Snyder, uh, like two years back. Oh uh, yeah, but he's worked with him on some of the Batman stuff before. Yeah. Um, he obviously writes Constantine. He's done some indie work uh, as well. Yeah, um, I like the premise. I I, I think the um, the the guy you mentioned in the beginning, like the the religious like zealotry and stuff like that. Mm. Um, that stuff always kind of intrigues me a little bit. Some of those like super psycho religious, uh, characters and or villains or whatever, there's a lot of, uh, weight behind their, like their motivations and stuff like that. And they make for really cool characters. I'll definitely be checking that Mm -hmm. out. And Ben Templesmith. Yeah. If you, if you can get him for a run and, and make that book really kind of like his world and have it be dark and creepy and, all stylized like that, that's going to, not only is it going to be cool, but it's definitely going to sell. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, looking forward to that. What about you, Justin? I'm not super familiar with the Spectre. I've read some stuff with him in it, like Kingdom Come. Oh, and he's uh, awesome. It's awesome in there, though. What was it? Infinity, what was it? In, um, Infinite Crisis? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was in there as mm-hmm. well. So I mean, that's like my really only uh, exposure to the character, but I'm excited to read it, and I'm excited to see that universe expand. I love, like, the idea of, uh, being around like around the police department like i love that type of stuff so yeah i'm excited for it yeah cool well, the specter is one of the most powerful characters over there so you you get that lovely dichotomy of ground level police work 
and a character can be the size of a planet. That works. That, that works. totally works, works for me. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever needs to get done at whatever level, he's there to do it. Yeah, I um, a little bit for me with the Spectre is just uh, been next to the books you talked about, and then uh, when I was actually going back to when I talked about reading that Green Lantern stuff for a while, How? Hal Jordan was the Spectre. Um, so I, re- I read um, actually the point to where he stopped being the Spectre of the Jeff Johns stuff. When Jeff Johns took over, he kind of... Um, That's where I came into Green Lantern. Yeah, he, he stripped the Spectre stuff away from, from Hal Jordan and brought him back into, into the land of the living um, like he did with Barry Allen a- as well. Um, and um, that's really what I know about him. But I'm excited because I like, I like the Jim Corgan idea. I like the detective story. I think the art obviously looks amazing. I think it's perfect for it. Uh, and I think it's cool they're doing this. They're, that... The, Look, they want to have Batman books because Batman books sell, but they don't all need to be Batman-centric, right? And I like that they're expanding this stuff and expanding this universe, but using lesser characters. Because if we can get another, you know, something close to the level of, like, Gotham Central, book was so you know, it, it, from one of these books, then you've done mm-hmm. your job. You've done, you've done something great. Is this Mark Doyle? Yeah, it's all Mark Doyle. Yeah, he's doing okay, a great job. Okay, so you go from Gotham Academy... The new Batgirl, and then he'll do mm. a Ben Temples with Batman. Yeah. He, he is rocking that is. corner of the, of the DC universe. He's doing, a, he's doing a great job. I like him. He's yeah. doing a great, great job. Um, all right, cool. So let's do one more thing. This is more of like a public service announcement than it is a oh. thing. But uh, um, we didn't talk about this last week. We got very you know very into talking about the, uh, the movie itself. But um, Bill Mantlo, who created nice. uh, Rocket Raccoon and uh, a lot of other characters, Micronauts, mm-hmm. um, he, it's been a while now, right? Since 1992. 1992 was involved in a hit and run accident. Yeah. And was very, very badly hurt. Uh, has some brain injury. Yeah. But is still able to sort of process some information, but not everything. He had quit comics and actually passed the New York bar. He was a public defender. Oh, wow. In the Bronx when he was injured. Wow. So um, there's been a big movement here after because obviously he created Rocket Raccoon and Rocket Raccoon is the, the, the breakout character of the biggest movie of the year right now. Um, he, you know, his medical expenses continue to pile up and they're, you know, they need help. And so um, I'll put a link in the, in the, in the post. Mm-hmm. You can donate um, if you want to to his um, medical, for his medical costs. You know, just give back to the person who kind of gave, gave us a lot. You know, I... I What's been great about reading these all your stories is that they're very, um, they're very gracious people, and and they, they've said that Marvel has been more than generous with them mm-hmm. with contracts and everything, and giving them credit and and giving them money. But even with that, gen- those generous donations, they're still, oh yeah, you know, it's mm-hmm. still, it's still kind of putting them against the wall as far as as far as money goes. Yeah, that level of care is is insanely yeah. pricey. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, anything you guys sure. can do. But there's also a biography by a fellow named David Yurkovich okay. called Bill Mantlo, A Life in Comics, and the proceeds for that go to his funding as well. Oh, great. I thought the loveliest thing that came out of this whole the, the movie coming out for me, I love mm-hmm. the movie and everything else, Marvel arranged basically a bedside screening mm-hmm. for yeah. Bill Mantlo, yeah. and they said it was the best day he'd had in many, many years, and yeah. he just loved it and thumbs up and the whole thing, and... That's you know, awesome. There's a, there's still a we. I'm not going to say we. I grouse a lot around here, <laughs> but there are still so many great people in this industry and so many good things that happen that sometimes they get lost in the yeah haze of all the other Absolutely. crap we talk about. And you, you know, so whatever little we can do here, use our powers for good. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah so i'll put the link again in the show notes yeah. and then we will we'll talk we'll we'll talk about it more as it goes along as, as it keeps keeps going um yeah, if everyone, anyone looks at bill mantlow's by the way if you go to his wikipedia page or comic vine he wrote basically every character yeah. at Marvel at some time or another. Mm. Wow. The list is just absolutely staggering. He was one of the go-to guys when I was younger. You saw his name on a book. It was, um, yeah, this is going to be good stuff in here. He created a lot of the backstory for the Hulk that Peter David built upon, hmm. the whole abuse thing that we hmm. see in the movie that his father abused him. That's Mantlo. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. Um, all right, so let's move on from the news and let's go on to some, some books. Of, of the week here uh, let's do our lightning round first obviously <laughs> very weak very weak lightning Steve uh, me? yeah you're gonna go first alright let me get my my notes cause I am not very good at the lightning round <laughs> and I wanna get some things across <laughs> alright Steve lightning round ready? go uh, Moon Knight number 6 Warren Ellis Decline Shelby and of course Jordi Belair uh, this was wrapping up the first arc and the final work of uh, Warren Ellis and Declan Shelby on this series. Uh, it was a rather ambiguous wrap-up to a six-part story that doesn't quite feel like it ever really went anywhere, and I was a little bit disappointed with that. There wasn't really any like depth of character, uh, no idea where the book is going next, and... Like, I was happy to read it, but I'm disappointed that Ellis uh, didn't give more information and give me more reason to want to continue with the book after he leaves. I was initially reading it because he was on it. Sure. Now that he's stepping away, I'm happy to have the books, but I, I don't feel the need to continue. Um, I will say this, though. I really did enjoy uh, much of the art, and in hindsight, I really appreciated kind of the near silent issues, like a very large portion of the six-part story was told silently and it bothered me a little bit to be paying for a book and only getting you know no dialogue just pictures but reading it again it kind of puts this whole part in the middle where it's just this long action sequence and it reads better all collected it's very cool uh and the other thing that i read i don't have names in front of me in the books that open so maybe i'll get to it later (laughs) but uh it's from archaea and it's called feeding ground and uh the setup for it is basically there's a famine strike in uh, Barbecho, Mexico, and this guy's trying to provide for his family by becoming a coyote and ushering uh, border crossers across the border and into the states to have better futures and whatnot. The only problem is that every so often when he's bringing these people over, mysteriously parts of his party disappear. You come to find out that the industrialist and the company that's in town that is causing the famine is also an ancient uh, race of werewolves and is stealing people and basically turning them, creating an army that will one day reach out to the rest and over the border and into the States and whatnot. (laughs) Um, Again, it wasn't really all that put together very well. I feel like there were were panels missing and pieces of the grand story missing. But I, uh, again, and just like Moon Knight, I will say this, the art for it was absolutely spectacular. It has this kind of like, hot sweaty humid feel to it lots of like pinks and oranges and yellows and one of the really cool things is that every time that it switches scenes because it does move around quite a bit every time that there's a break in the scene and they come back in they give you the temperature of where you are and what and like of of the scene so you realize that all this crazy crazy shit is happening while it's like balls hot Mm -hmm. outside so you can feel the insanity you know, like if you were under these situations, your kids are being taken and bitten and all this stuff, and it's like 101 degrees out and you're out in the desert, pretty maddening stuff. So, feeding ground. 
There you go. By Archaea. Oh. <laughs> awesome. On the zeros. Oh. Nice no. job. Yeah. Fatality. <laughs> There's a great old movie called It Came From Outer Space. It's a terrible title. It's written by Ray Bradbury, directed by Jack Arnold, who did mm-hmm. Creature from the Black Lagoon and so many other great things for Universal. And in that movie, it's a Bradbury line where it's, it's a scientist and sheriff. Scientists were in trouble back in the 50s because, well, he saw things and they said, well, there are no spacemen or whatever. Right. But it's in the desert out in Arizona and... The sheriff says, do you know that there are more murders committed at 92 degrees than any other temperature? Damn. Because under that temperature, people are even-tempered mm-hmm. and, and lovely, and they get along with each other. Above that, it's too damn hot to move. But at 92 <laughs> degrees, everyone's really aggravated. Can I just read the creators yeah, off? Sure. I don't want to short them. Okay. Um, created and story by Swifty Lang uh, for script, Michael uh, Lipinski on art and colors, and Chris Mangan on uh, production design and letters. And just a quick aside, this book actually was created from quote-unquote true-life tales as told by several border crossers over the years. There was a kind of like a, a, a myth or an urban legend for border crossers that this book was based off of. So that's a pretty cool aside. That made me appreciate the book a little Absolutely. bit more. I just wish that it was just put together a little bit more coherently so that I could have enjoyed it more. Hmm. Good job spending another 30 seconds to talk about. Oh, I'm, s- I'm so smooth. <laughs> if, if Stephanie could turn herself into a coyote, she could cross the border with little trouble. Yeah, it's true. But uh, maybe crossing the Canadian border would be a little bit more difficult. They're not looking moose. For a yeah, I'm moose. moose. Go for a moose. <laughs> um, you're talking about the, the temperature. It's funny. There was, um, oh God, it was, it's one of my favorite tweets ever. It was, it was, it was like two years ago when we had like that, those ridiculous like 110 degree days. Oh, that was awful. And it's really like, weather in New York is a 95% chance that Mookie throws a trash can through the pizza place window. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little uh, do the right thing reference right there. Oh, Have you ever seen that awesome. film? Have you ever seen do the right seen. thing? No. <gasps> Justin. I know. He's so deadpan. Justin, come on. There's like there's a whole list of movies that I have not seen that if I, I brought it out, I would have to walk out of the Short house circuit. in shame. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't oh, compare goodness. to <laughs> do, do the, the right, right thing. thing. Field of Dreams. Yes, I've seen Field of Dreams. It's funny because I don't even love Do the Right Thing that much, but I've seen it like four times because of film school. That's <laughs> Boys in the Hood. It, it is a brilliant no. film yeah. with a crappy ending yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that he I've heard Spike Lee try to explain it. Mm-hmm. And I get what he's explaining, but Mookie shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Spoiler alert for a movie made 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. New Jack City. This is not Quiz Justin. Why are you night. pulling what? out these random movies? I'm just razzing him. I'm having fun. He's my friend. Yeah. Battleship Potemkin. <laughs> I've never even heard of it. <laughs> I got it's you, okay. Unless you go to film school, you shouldn't have heard of it. <laughs> um, Brian De Palma knows it. It's true. He's still everything from every movie. Um, even from 1918. I will say, though, I... Um, I think that Marvel knows that people are only reading Moon Knight because of Warren Ellis because there's like a three-page preview for the the new one in in, in the Marvel books this week. Oh yeah. yes, yeah. Um, and I will say that the art by Greg Smallwood in it is really really nice. I, it is I was taken very aback. similar. It's very similar, but I was taken aback by how I expected it to be a totally different looking book. Yeah, um, some of the panel design was really interesting in in those couple of pages. I just wish that I had more of a reason to continue reading. Right? Yeah. No, I get it. Um, you're gonna have to try one probably like I you remember how excited I was about the number one when yeah. it came out I was like this might be one of my favorite of the year like, no. I was over the moon for it haha and Actually, I just by the yeah. end of this it was cool and I'm glad to have read it and it's a cool little like piece but like I don't know any more about who Moon Knight is from when I started and I kind of have a problem with that. Sounds like after six issues, Warren Ellis. Well, Moon Knight does have three personalities, so maybe need eighteen issues. That's the thing. We got one. Yeah. <laughs> like we got one. Like I, I don't. 
for Mark him, Spector has been yeah, the whole thing, yeah, and it was fun and it was cool, but like where that first issue told me that we were gonna be getting weird, we were gonna see mm. all this stuff, and it turned it turned out to be you know the raid or Judge Dread mm. with Moon Knight, mm-hmm. and that, that's okay, but at you know sixteen twenty dollars later, I I wanted more, right? Yeah. Um, you should uh, look at the. Uh, I mean, obviously, the, there's the original stuff that you should definitely take a look at. But if something more modern. The Bendis Malieve stuff was really good with that, especially if you want something like yeah, crazy seen, with, yeah. with a bunch of personalities. That was like all. Oh, that yeah. was all was about. Yeah. That could be cool. He was like Wolverine yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I have both <laughs> trades. It was a twelve issue run. Yeah, it was very short. Yeah, he um, was Cap, Spidey, and Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty awesome. Yeah. That's a good combo. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, yeah. That he, the, the, those two of them had a bad run there for a while because they did the Spider Woman book that didn't last very long, and then they which did which was also excellent. Yeah, yeah, and then they did the Moon Knight thing that didn't yeah. last very long. All right, Justin. Let's do it. Are you ready for lightning round? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right, lightning round. Go. Okay, so the first book I want to talk about is Imperial. It is a new superhero comedy from uh, Man of Action and Image Comics. And uh, as the writer Stephen T. Seagal and uh, Mark DeSantos uh, on art uh, would say, it's a bromantic comic uh, superhero comedy with serious commitment issues <laughs> so the first issue is about this guy uh who is uh, spreading his father's ashes out in colorado and all of a sudden standing above him is imperial like the world's only superhero and he's like i've been searching the entire planet this vast planet looking for you and the dude's like he pisses himself because he's he yeah. thinks that the guy's as you do <laughs> so the scene, next scene takes place and he's in his tidy whiteies talking to this godlike individual and he's like you're going to replace me and he's like yeah but i've got like a girlfriend that i'm gonna marry soon and he's like i'm not gonna hear no more of it i'm gonna pick you up tomorrow and so we go back to the to uh, his apartment the next day and we see him talking with his fiance who understands him and gets all of his quirks and is pretty much the perfect woman for him and now the book is going to make him choose does he stay with the woman that he loves or does he become the world's protector uh it's supposed to be a comedy, and I can definitely see that playing out. I really enjoyed the first issue. So, Imperial number one, Image Comics, give it a try. The second book I'm going to talk about is one of my personal favorites. It is Alex and Ada, number yeah, eight, that's right. uh, from Jonathan Luna and Sarah Vaughn. Um, this comic is, anytime it's out, it just rises to the top of my pile. I uh, I love everything about this. The writing, the art, um, the idea of... Uh, an AI becoming a person and that being outlawed and illegal gives the book a kind of suspenseful feel because you don't want them to get caught. So this issue, um, we've been building up to this issue where you know people assume that they're a couple. People who are on the inside who know that she's an AI in these chat rooms that they go to, they just assume that they're together. And she's just learning about life, so she really doesn't even know what that means. And so this entire issue is her learning and exploring and multitasking as they go on watching a movie she's actually reading a book like one of those romantic books uh and then it comes to the point where they're having a discussion about being together and i'm not going to spoil the way that it goes uh but this is a 15 issue run and i want it to last forever i really enjoy it the art is so clean um i mean if you read any of the luna books girls the sword um what's the other one Ultra. Ultra, thank you. Uh, it's It's got that same look that's just inviting. The, the, the way he draws figures and faces is just perfect. Um, so if you're not reading Alex and Ada, it's at issue eight. I think they're still running a sale on Comixology. I would definitely check it's it out. It's over now. 
Oh, yeah, sorry. Well, I think the first trade just came out maybe like two, three weeks ago. Which and is a about, $10 trade. Yeah. It's got to be from... So definitely pick it up. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That superhero book sounds really cool. Yeah. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. Nice. I know. When you talk about that scene at, in Colorado, I, I've got true lies in my head. Bill Paxton <laughs> and, and Schwarzenegger at the dam. <laughs> I have seen true lies. Yeah. <laughs> I have seen true lies. All the, right. The sixth day. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> That's a really shitty Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It is. But it's got alligators. Don't ask me if it's it a leprechaun. It has alligators. It does. They escape and they try to Ghoulies. Chomp. They try to chomp. Ghoulies, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You're making me think of. <laughs> No, no, no. For my book of the week, there was a comparison I wanted to make. You just reminded me of it. I got to write myself with ghoulies. No, with Basket Case. Remember Basket Case? Frank Hemlotter. There you go. Yeah. There's something in Secrets. Nope. (laughs) Never mind. All right. All right. So I'm going to do my lightning round next. Mm. Bob's going to go last today. Um, All right. So lightning round for me. All right. Go. Um, All right. So Earth 2, number 26. This brings to the end uh, the. The kind of huge arc we've been running. I, I think even before I started reading this, when Tom Taylor took over um, with Apocalypse invading and using kind of Superman, a, a brainwashed Superman as as their puppet, um, we see this kind of new. I guess you're, you, Vakabur, new JSA. I guess mm-hmm. you know, writing the, the Flash, um, Green Lantern, uh, this new Superman, uh, Doctor Fate, all these characters, uh, finally getting some some traction and doing some good stuff uh, against them. And it's a really, really great issue. A lot of big heroic stuff, a lot of cool revelations, um, some big hero stuff. Green Lantern is basically holding back um, the earth from being slipped into a boom tube on his own power. So it's pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. That sounds pretty cool. Tom Taylor does a great job. Nicola Scott, obviously beautiful. She's almost done. I think now I think that we're getting to the point where she's going to be done with it, which is a shame because her stuff is just amazing. Um, But earth Two number 26 is great. The only thing I will say is that, I do feel like I got less book than normal uh, because maybe it's not true, but it's just the the whole back of the book. And look, I'm I'm excited for Multiversity, oh, anybody? Yes, yes. But there's like an eight page ad for Multiversity, oh, is that the, yeah, yeah, in the I back of the that. book, and it's in the back of a, some of the a lot of the DC books. But this was the one where I felt like it was in the back of Grayson, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was shorted. Like I felt, I just felt shorted. I felt like there's there's eight pages of ad and one page of like character designs and uh you know this all access page I and five like, of them are black yeah i didn't get a lot of content out of this though it was a great story so i, I don't want to shortchange it in that way um i really 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 like this earth too but that was an issue for me um speaking of grayson number two i think grayson is awesome uh love that it's not no capes no no costumes it's a really cool direction I think people were talking about when this book was first coming that Dick Grayson is one of the few characters in, in any comic book universe who seems to go through significant character changes mm-hmm. kind of constantly, um, which I think is interesting about him. The book is a lot of fun. It's got espionage. Um, it's got still links to the superhero world, but it's not like you know completely separate. Uh, really, really love Grayson a lot. Um, and Rocket Raccoon, uh, number two, uh, Scotty Young, uh, the book, first of all, it's just magical to look at. The colors are so amazing, so bright, so vibrant. The story is funny. It's got all the action. We have a little bit of a Guardian's vibe here because they go to a prison, and there he's escaping from a prison. Um, but his kind of misogyny comes back to roost <laughs> against him, sleeping with all these women. Um, but there's some really laugh-out-loud funny moments, some really some really cool dramatic moments. It's great. I mean, it, it, it's not a gimmick. It's just a great, great story. To read. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. I read it before I got here. It it's good, amazing. right? Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I will, oh yeah. And Grayson is um, 
uh, sorry, Tim Seeley and Mikkel Janin is the is the artist on that book. The I guess what the top portion or the splash page of like Rocket kind of meets with a battalion of uh, X's. Yeah, yeah, and just that page of all the different ships of all the different races and from different planets that he's visited and had, you know relations and whatnot with them stuff yeah it's pretty it was pretty amazing yeah i haven't read it yet i have to jump on oh it's great they're one of the issues no i haven't read either and his escape plan is amazing his escape plan is amazing um and i like he intentionally gets thrown in this jail because he wants to find this this certain convict um so uh he starts like quoting movies yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) you can't handle the truth yeah Uh, even quotes Goodwill Hunting in it, which is very interesting. Oh. Yeah. Now, Earth Two is going weekly. Is that how this works? No, there's gonna Earth be, Two there's, Futures. There's going to be two Earth. books. There's going to be regular Earth Two, and that's why Marguerite Bennett is coming on as a co-writer on Earth Two because Tom Taylor is writing the the other book, the weekly book as well. So Marguerite Bennett's coming on to I think actually I, I think script the books, and Tom Taylor is doing story with her uh, on the on the mainline mm-hmm. Earth Two book. Um, I did, the, the only thing about Earth 2 is that the cover was a little bit misleading because Power Girl is like coming through a portal on the cover and I was like oh we're going to see Power Girl and Huntress in this, in this issue didn't happen yeah. um, but very very cool what they're doing in Grayson with the Helena Bertinelli character so they're both here yeah, well, Helena Bernelli is in the is in the mainline DC New Fifty Two. She got a she got introduced. I forget, I don't know what book it was. She got introduced in still school teacher. Um, no, Helena Bernelli. No, I don't know. She's a school teacher. Well, who's the daughter of a mob actually, boss. Actually, she is kind of a school teacher. She teaches at like this spiral academy, like the place where the they train the spies. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and you're not really sure her allegiance yet. You're not sure like she seems like she's just a member of Spiral, which Dick Grayson is infiltrating in Grayson. Um, but I feel like there's going to be something else or at least a change in that character because obviously oh, she cool. becomes the Huntress. But they're doing a really cool thing with her and it, they have a very good chemistry and relationship together. Um, well, because in the original World's Finest, the, the Levitz Perez McGuire, right. early on, Helena Wayne from Earth 2 mm-hmm. used Helena Bertinelli's identity. She's actually burning up Oh, really? Her social security card, because <laughs> they've hacked into it and she stole it. So she was introduced oh, interesting. on paper that's cool. two years ago, but I haven't gotten to see her yet. So that's, yeah. that's really neat. And she's, um, I mean, I don't know if everyone knows this or not, but she's African-American in the, in now uh-huh. in the book. So it's cool. They're doing a really good, really good job with her. The spy stuff has been really engaging and fun. It's, it's felt like, you know, it doesn't really feel bondage, but more, I guess, a little bit more like a modern spy thing. But there's a lot of crackle and fun between the, between the characters. Cool. I've been really, really oh, liking good. it. Yeah, absolutely. And spy stuff is good. We did yeah. we did a great Winter Soldier one that just yeah. finished up. That Winter Velvet going awesome. on from yeah. Brubaker. It's a cool. It's and it's like kind of an un, unused genre a little bit right now. Yeah. So we need some Nick Fury now. Yeah, we absolutely need some Nick Fury. Um, all right, Bob. Lightning round for you. Okay, here we go. You ready? Yep. Go. New Avengers number 22, Jonathan Hickman and Kev Walker. Prince Namer does something really pretty stunning here. In character and yet out at the same time, he basically calls everyone the B word. (laughs) In essence, and some great stuff with the Black Panther that's really coming to a head. Momentum is building here. It has taken an awfully long time, but it's finally coming together. (laughs) There is Star Trek New Visions, Time Echo. It's another one of these photo novels by John Byrne. This is an original story, though, that begins with a pre-credit sequence, if you can have that in a comic book. We're at a listening, a deep space listening station. They get a message from the galactic core from James T. Kirk from a thousand years ago. 
and I'll leave it at that. You got to <laughs> sort out that message. It's just very well done. He just does a great job of putting together these collages from various episodes. And it's just, he says it's the most fun he's ever had creating comics. So who am I to argue? <laughs> going way back, thanks to Steve having me going to my long boxes, yeah. it's from 2002, a one shot called Thing She Hulk The Long Night. Todd DeZago, Brian Hitchpole, Neely, Ivan Reese doing some art here. We opened deep underground in New York. It's Jonas Harrow, who we saw his widow in She-Hulk number one. He's a mad scientist. He'll create the hammerhead. He's experimenting on Dragon Man. While this is all going on, both Ben and Jen are on various subway trains going back and forth doing stuff. And then there are some underground insectoid vampires because they need to feed on stuff, blow up the subway system. Everything collapses into one mess. So we've got Mad Scientist, Dragon Man, The Thing, and The She-Hulk doing all sorts of fun stuff. Great chemistry between these characters always has been since, since the burn days on FF. Yes, Steve? That might have been in the back of that freak show trade. Might have been. It was around the same period. Mm-hmm. Just tons of chaos, just good old-fashioned comic book fun, and looks wonderful. Smiling superheroes. Can't beat that. <laughs> Who Which knew? then drove me to pull out world. <laughs> Fantastic Four number 35. This is actually my childhood copy. It's got some pencil marks on the cover. I've replaced it since. But it's the introduction of Dragon Man. Reed Richards goes... Oh, I've got 40 seconds. Reed <laughs> Richards goes to his alma mater, State University, to give a lecture. Discovers some friend scientist of his. He created this android dragon creature just to study him to see how stuff works. Diablo from issue 30 has escaped from the Balkans, shows up here to take revenge, animates Dragon Man, who starts a huge ruckus, big fights. Sue saves the day because she she's nice to Dragon Man. And then he turns on Diablo. And at the, at the finale of this issue, I'm timing this out, we're at nine seconds. <laughs> Reed Richards pops the question and asks Sue Storm to marry him in front of the sweetheart tree down a uh, light shady lane on the campus. Aww. <laughs> nice. That was a lot less books than you usually do in your lightning round. I had more to talk about. I know. Usually it's like 18 books in a minute and a half. It's very <laughs> impressive to listen to. <laughs> do, you t- do you time it before you come here? No. No, I, I don't. Look, I used to rehearse when we did quizzes. I have to say, I'd sit in the <laughs> kitchen and rehearse questions. But for this, I, I sort of know that a page of written text is three minutes. <laughs> and if I'm going to go off script, I can only do two-thirds of a page. So no one got to hear about Rampaging Hulk number one and the introduction of Barit. I would have liked to have heard that. <laughs> well, next Maybe next time. time. Next time, perhaps. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So those that's our lightning round. Let's go on to our books of the week. Steve. Yeah, do it again. What do you got for us? Well... Uh, I have got, I'm actually going to read some stuff here because they do a wonderful job on image.com for this. This is a book called How Tunes uh, Reignition, number one. Uh, It says right here, the awe-inspiring, adventure-loving, science-doing, energy literacy (laughs) series co-created by East of West Nick Dragota returns with an all-new story from superstar creators Fred Van Lente, Tom Fowler, and Jordi Belair in How Tunes, number one. Uh, quick synopsis, Tuck and Celine's parents put their family in suspended animation to ride out the ecological apocalypse, but when the kids wake up to find mom and dad are gone, they have to make their way across an exciting and sometimes scary new world to find their parents, depending uh, on only their how-tunes projects to survive. Okay. Nicely done. Well, that they did it for me. They, Shh, they totally... You shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you should have just gone with it. 
But I, I absolutely, and, and Bob, I'm actually going to send you home with this uh, this evening. This book was lovely parting gifts. Yes, <laughs> this book was wonderful. Um, they give a little disclaimer right in the beginning, which I really appreciated. Uh, the authors and publisher of Howtoons have made every reasonable effort to ensure projects and activities contained in this book are safe when conducted as instructed, but assume no responsibility for any injuries suffered or damages or losses incurred as a result of following the instructions contained in this book. Now, the reason that they tell you this is because throughout the story, which is very engaging and very cool and very well written, in the very beginning of the book, you get the entire history of how the world came into being. They start with nothing, and they bring you all the way through evolution and the dinosaurs and just how the process of how everything that we are today came from a single beam of light from the sun. Started with photosynthesis. Star, star and, stuff. Yeah. Carl Sagan. All of that stuff. So inside of this really cool story of these kids, kind of their parents preparing for this apocalypse, and then they all they all cryogenically freeze themselves, and they come out of it, and the kids realize that their parents have been taken. Um, they now have to use their know-how and all of the sciency stuff that their parents taught them to get them back. The cool thing is, is that right in the middle of the book, they actually, when they make the objects that they're leaving their home to go and to go on this mission, they show you how to do it step by step. Like they literally, oh, yeah. they have entire oh, cool. diagrams of like they have, for instance, this PVC pipe marshmallow shooter that you could <laughs> I shoot want one. miniature <laughs> marshmallows out of. They give you all the measurements for the PVC piping um, and literally tell you step by step. They even give you a uh, little history lesson about blowguns. And how they, they came into... See, this is what comics used to be like. I hate, I hate to play that card, but when you read The Metal Men, yeah. they gave you the melting points of whether it was gold or iron or whatever. Or you have a whole page of, yeah. oh, here's how to do martial arts. Yeah, I mean... How to build a marshmallow gun. Right. Awesome. Like, they, they show you how to make goggles for yourself out of rubber bands and, you know, like, discarded Coke bottles and stuff like that. So not only do you have nice. eye protection, now you have a miniature marshmallow shooter that's safe... And you have goggles. So now the kids can go around. You guys can read this together and you can make the objects that are shown. Mm -hmm. There's at least three solid projects in here that kids would absolutely love. They show you how to make a, a flashlight out of like a, a discarded toilet paper tube and a battery wow. and wire and just, you know, literally step for step things that if, if parents that write into the show and everything, you're looking for something to read with your kids, probably about like seven eight nine years old something mm -hmm. like that you want something you can do together um it's called how tunes reignition number one this is actually going to be a series it's from image comics and the story is wonderful and there's all sorts of knowledge and facts and stuff seamlessly woven into it that makes for a very very intelligent read for for both kids and uh adults it's one of those books that you know, like I said, people write into us and, you know, what can I read with my X year old, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. This is that book that's currently on the shelves right now that if you want to get in on it, um, this is what you're looking for. It's called How Tunes Reignition. And now I get the title. Yeah. I didn't understand until just this particular second. I think this is a revival. I think it's been around for a while. I actually tried to do a little bit of research and I was, I was hoping there would be a Wikipedia on it and there wasn't. So I came up a little uh, empty before the show. But um, yeah, the, the, the art is spectacular. It's, it's very cartoony, but it's fun. It's almost in the line of like what Disney Kingdoms is doing with uh, Figment and the Seekers of the Weird. So, Bob, there Thank you go. You. Uh, and 
da 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 my uh second book that i got to read last night and oh my god was it amazing i'm only gonna talk about it for a second though because there's still so much more of it to read is gail simone's secret six uh this is volume one unhinged it's uh gail simone writing nicholas scott on pencils doug hazelwood on inks with rodney ramos additional inks on number seven and that's all they're giving me and jason wright is the colorist and a whole bunch of people on letters um so i've never had the pleasure of reading secret six but if I, you know, we know Kelly Sue DeConnick. We know her generally the way that she writes things pretty deadly in Captain Marvel. And, you know, you can feel, especially like Scott Snyder, you can feel their their spin or their voice on a character or series. Like, it's just, it's them. You know their personality outside of the comic, but their personality is felt within the book. Um, this book is Gail Simone to a T. Like, as ridiculous as she is on Twitter, as amazing as she is in real life, all of that is here. Um, Secret Six is a team of villains basically doing villain things, and you're on the ground floor watching it. Um, The team for this is Catman, Deadshot, Ragdoll, who I finally got to see, you know, the previous iteration of Ragdoll. Ragdoll was introduced in the DC-52 as a female this is the male version of Ragdoll, and oh my god, he is weird. He's weird, <laughs> yes. and he's disgusting, and he's creepy, and I love him to death. <laughs> um, Bane is a part of this, and he's hilarious. <laughs> he's a gentleman of all people, this gigantic hulking thing. He's kind of on this um, like this cleanse where he won't take venom. He has, with, he has, him, has it with him, but he thinks it's unnatural. And he won't use it. Catman's always trying to get him to, to... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Deadshot is always trying to juice him up. Um, the daughter of Vandal Savage is kind of the leader of this team. And there's this mysterious new boss who apparently heads up a whole bunch of different um, like sects or, or gangs around the city on the west side um, called Junior. And this is why I mentioned Basket Case before, is that Junior apparently runs in an entire portion of the city through, he runs it by a telephone, a notepad, and he sits inside of a box, like a crate with a latch on it. Um, It is Basket Case. Yeah, it's just not a wicker basket this time. Right. Right. Um, That, the villain is extraordinarily menacing and absolutely disgusting. When you find out who it is, they do reveal it by the end of this trade. It all makes sense, and it's kind of perfect. But um, if I can take anything away from this, uh, I read this last night, and as we all know, and we'll get to in a bit, uh, yesterday was pretty rough because of, of the news and everything, and I needed something very desperately to pick me up. I tried playing video games, nothing. Couldn't get my mind off of it. I picked up Secret Six, and oh my god, it tears in my eyes. She, Gail Simone is hilarious on this book, and I can't wait to read more of it. I got the whole thing. Um, I'm going to be diving into this for the next couple weeks at least. It's amazing. Cool. Awesome. So Secret Six, Volume 1. Mm-hmm. Um, and and How Tunes, Reignition, Number 1 from Image Comics. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Those just my favorite books. I've always wanted to read Secret, uh, Secret Six. It's just they're not – I never knew where to jump in. Here you go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I'm just giving stuff away on the yeah, Talking yeah. Comics podcast. The reprints nice. are about to start. Yeah. Because uh, they're, yeah. they're kind of hard to come by to put together a set, though. Yeah. I think Steve has done pretty nicely for himself. Yes. I, I have the first volume as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, fourth World, they had the first volume, then like the fourth volume. Yeah, that's yeah. And I was like, oh, like, I'm just gonna buy the first volume because I'm not buying the first and the fourth and the fifth. That's the worst feeling, you know? Yeah. Uh, when we went to special edition, I had Bob and I, that was my mission. Yeah. And I it was all broken up. Mm-hmm. And then I found that for $3 when I went to Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I managed to put it together elsewhere. So cool. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. All right, Justin, let's do it. Bring it on, man. Let's talk about invincible first. Invincible is the little book that this guy, you may have heard Robert <laughs> Kirkman. He writes mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. The difference is, and I just had you look up these numbers mm-hmm. yeah. for me is that Walking Dead sells 75,000 issues a month, and Invincible sells 14. That's true. Which is crazy to me. 14,000? 14,000. Mm. I thought you said 14 copies. Well, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I should have been a little bit more clear there. Yeah, 14,000. So when I was getting back into comics, um, the only thing that mattered to me was Marvel and then a little bit of DC. So the idea, there was this one point where I was like, I should explore other avenues like i should check out this vertigo stuff this image stuff and i only wanted to read superhero stuff so i did a little bit of research and i heard that this invincible comic was like the best superhero comic outside of the big two and so i bought the first like overstock trade and it had like the first like nine or ten issues and i fell in love with it and at at that point it was at like i think um they're at issue like 70 so i was able to like jump in and get from zero to 70 in like two weeks and I've been on board for this book ever since. Um, I am a huge sucker for um, comic book romances. Don't tell anybody, but that's like <laughs> that's like my thing. I love it. I don't know why. It's like my soap opera. I don't want to push your bubble, but a, a couple thousand people just heard you Crap. say that. Sorry. <laughs> you should talk to Mara. Mara likes that stuff. Yeah. Oh, man. I, it's like, uh, what's that thing? They, like, Dirty Little Secret? Sure, I'll say that. Uh, so uh, the romance between the lead character and uh, Eve is my favorite in comics. And Ooh. so we're up to issue 113. This book is just violent as all anything. It didn't start that way. It started as this like, hey, I'm, a, I'm a teenager. I go to high school. I, super, I do superheroics on the side. And as the book has progressed, it's just gotten – it's colorful, but man, can it be violent. You see guts being ripped out at times, heads being exploded. Um, But the art by Ryan Otley, who I think is the best kept secret in comics, um, I would love to have commissioned stuff from him. I would love to see him draw other heroes. Uh, But he draws this book so well, I never want him to leave it. So issue 113, we're getting to the point where um, the world's being taken over. And it's being taken over by an ally of Invincibles, who's been an ally to him since the book opened 112 issues ago. (sighs) So we're also dealing with him becoming a father as this is all happening. Uh, I'm not going to spoil like a lot of stuff about the book, um, but I just want to draw attention to it because as good as Walking Dead is, I like this better. If you're like me and you were looking to get into something that's not Marvel or DC and you like superhero stuff, Invincible is a terrific place to pick up and go with. So, Invincible mm. 113. You got you to gotta, you gotta stand up for those books that have only lasted 114 issues. I know. What, you know like, <laughs> when you send me the numbers, it's like it only sells 14,000 copies. Now, I listen to the show every week and we talk about books that are around that number yeah and it has the bob curse on it <laughs> yes. sorry so, about that it yeah. wasn't me not this time no it's just i i, I don't think image is ever going to tell robert kirkman no i, I don't yeah. think Come on, so buddy. but 
I like this book so much. Yeah. I want to see other people pick it up because it tells a great story and the characters in it are fantastic. He's done an amazing job of making me invested in characters who are not the main character, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. side characters. He could tell stories about these side characters and they've opened up, you know, it's Guardians of the Globe, mm-hmm. which is a good book in its own right. Uh, but I'd love to see Kirkman write about a lot of these other side characters as well. They're so interesting. I so. would love to read that. I think a lot of people are intimidated by how long it's been around. Yeah. I know that's my thing, that if I was to pick it up or invest in it, like let's say I wanted to get the first trade. I know that there's another 20-something trades to go <laughs> along with that one. That I think people are curious about it, or I'm, I'm not. I shouldn't speak for everybody. I'm curious about it. I just know that once I start something, I usually don't stop. It's just within my personality that it would be a lot to undergo. But that being said, when I jumped onto The Walking Dead, it was only in maybe the maybe the early nineties, and I mean I chewed through that within like a week and a half. I yeah, was caught up. I jumped into The Walking Dead when it was the same thing. Like I think in the 70s 70s or 80s Mm -hmm. for me and i'm just speaking for myself there's nothing more exciting than picking up volume one of a book and being like dear god this is amazing and then looking being like there's 20 more of these this is this is great not great for my wallet but great because i hope to enjoy all of them what you're you're explaining is the most terrifying situation to me (laughs) yeah Wallets, I mean, that hurts the wallet in a, in a big way. Luckily for you, Steve, I have all of these. So. I know, and that's good because there they really are. There's so many versions of Invincible out there. You know, things have been, been printed again or collections yeah. that, you know, what do you do? Do you find, because I've seen, when I go to Canada and I go to Heroes, I mean, they're all there. They're all there. Like, even the ones you have, they're all there. But you're talking like 25 here. I go back next time. Oh, I look for volume two. That's another, that's 50 bucks now that I'm in and it's it's just it's a huge undertaking on top of a, a pull list that's already too big every week yeah like the well, Omnibuy yeah that's what I have mm. I think I get them online so they're like I think like 20 bucks mm. um, but if you're that's buying a, if you're buying a cover price those are like 32 33 dollars yeah. mm-hmm. um, I get that like I totally get that and I can understand why that's daunting but yeah it's a good book and if you're looking if if you're just coming into this like I was all those years ago looking for something it's a good place. It's a good thing to read and pick up. Well, you're like the fourth person to go to bat for that series and really talk it up. So eventually I'm going to have to read it. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, sir. So I've decreed. <laughs> so I'm the, so le- the last done. time I was on the show, uh, my book of the week uh, was the Superior Spider-Man 31. It was the last one. Hmm. And I championed that book. And I am back Hard. again with the Superior Spider-Man 32 a couple months later. A little bit of backstory. Um, we'll skip that and we'll just... Spoilers, we'll come back to, guys. We'll co- I'll come back Spoilers. to that later. Yeah. Doc Ock is not Spider-Man anymore. Yeah, not Spider-Man anymore. <laughs> we only have you on to talk about Superior Spider-Man. Hmm. That's fine. That's the only reason why. So, Superior ended at issue 31. Peter gets uh, Peter gets his body back and Amazing has picked back up and they're at issue 4, which is its usual terrific self. Uh, but now we get Superior Spider-Man number 32. And the reason for this is twofold. One, where it's got the Edge of Spider-Verse uh, tag on the front, which we'll get into. And in issue number 19 of Superior Spider-Man, uh, there is this temporal explosion. And that's how Spider-Man 2099 shows up. But Otto disappears in 
the issue for a panel. Uh, and he comes back in his costumes all ripped up and he's like, you haven't heard the last of Doctor? Oh, I'm back. And then <laughs> he has to figure out what's going on there. So what this issue is, is just showing us where he went. And where oh. he went was, he went to 2099. Where one Spider-Man comes back, one Spider-Man has to go forward for the balance. So the first part of the issue is him um, being in the year 2099, which is like, this is terrific with my superior intelligence. The technology will have caught up. Going backwards in time will be no big deal. So we get to see some of his hijinks in the year 2099 with him, you know, chasing around the cops and whatnot. (laughs) And him, there's this terrific panel of him, like driving a van that's flying through the air as a getaway. It's just, to me, it was hysterical (laughs) to watch. So we get his hijinks and now he's ready to go backwards in time. And so he has this, um, if you read Spider-Man 2099, they have these holograms. So his hologram is based after Anna, his love. So they go backwards in time, but he ends up somewhere else. And he finds Spider-Man, uh, a Spider-Man killed along with the Fantastic Four. And he's like, oh, like I, I must have jumped into an alternate timeline. So he's like, let's go back and do it again. And so they go back again and again and again, and he keeps coming across Spider-Men that have been murdered. And if you've been reading Marvel for a while, you'll recognize some of these characters from the numerous events that have been going on for the last couple of years. So the next thing we see is we see the Spider-Man of India, and he's being chased by this unknown person with his pitchfork, which matches the, um, the wounds that he found on all the other ones. And he comes and he has to help this Spider-Man, and it was interesting to read because Otto is abrasive and he's full of himself and he's pretty much saying, like, we got to go. Like, this guy's insane. I've been tracking him for numerous dimensions. So they come back and the Spider-Man India is like, well, thank you. Like, I hope to join. Like, I'm very proud to be the first in a great band of warriors. And you get this amazing two-page spread. And Otto's like, who said you were the first? And you have all these different Spider-Men teamed up, standing there, like, ready to go to battle. And... If you're like me and you're a Spider-Man fanatic, you recognize (laughs) some of these. One of them was from Old Man Logan. One of them was Spider-Man Noir. Um, There was the one that uh, that Logan trains to be a trained killer. Uh, And you get the idea, like, this is the beginning of Spider-Verse, which is um, Spider-Man's great enemy, Morlin, who I have a personal history with, which I'll uh, share in a second, Mm. hunting down (laughs) all the Spider-Men ever, which ties into what's going on in Amazing right now. Um, and it made me want to just stand up and like jump up and down because it's amazing to see these characters come together. And Dan Slott has said that no Spider-Man is out of bounds. You want to talk about Spider-Ham? He's in there. I was just going to ask. You want to talk about the 60s cartoon Spider-Man? He's in there as well. Uh, so that event is coming, and this is, this is we're getting the first issue of On the Edge. Now, there's going to be more issues where they're going to be introducing other characters, um, where Gwen Stacy, uh, Gwen Stacy was Spider-Man and so on and so mm. forth before we dive into the big event. But what I liked about this issue so much was that when Dan Slott first came up with the idea for this, he wanted it to be Otto's story. He wanted Otto to be the center of this massive Spider-Man story. But other writers like Mark Wade pulled him aside and said, like, this really has to be Peter's story. Like, it, it should be Peter being the center mm. of this story. And so he went back and he changed it. Now, the thing about Superior is that I originally wasn't on board for it. Like, I liked Peter. I didn't want to see Otto in there, but I grew to like it so much. And then when it ended and you get Peter back, you're like, yeah, you're right, Peter's so much better. 
But then reading this again, it just <laughs> makes me want to go back and be like, I need it. I need to have both of these. They're so in- he's so interesting to read <laughs> that I I want to find a way for Slot to continue this as it goes on. Like I, he's definitely going to be a, an integral part of Spider Verse. It looks like, but. I definitely want to see more of him. Alternate worlds, he can be there. Yeah, you can re- revisit every now and again, once a year. Have a holiday visit with Otto. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the the villain of Spider Verse, Morlin. Um, Your personal history. Your personal beef. Personal thing with him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> five dollars. When I was like seven, when I was seventeen, and I wasn't in the comics, a friend had the trade where he was first introduced by Straczynski, and I picked it up, and it was like, oh, I, I thought Peter was going to die. It like they gave that impression. That was the first time I've ever read a comic where it was like Peter's calling his loved ones to say goodbye, mm. and I was like, "That's that's cool." And it like kind of like planted the seed in my head, like maybe you're back into comics. Mm-hmm. And a year or two later, it, it happened for me. A couple years later, when they reintroduced him again, and it was um, I forget what the uh, the other the other storyline. Um, it was like you ever have like one of those moments where you just know like you just know something. And I remember I was at work and I could not wait to get off work on a Wednesday to go and pick up issue three. And like I knew right then and there like I found my love. Like mm-hmm. I, I know I'm in love with comics again and like this is what I want to be involved with. And so both times for me like the, the introduction to me in comics again and the, the part where I knew that they had me totally was this villain that just likes to beat Peter senseless. So now we're, we got pretty much uh, what I hope to be the biggest Spider-Man storyline in years. Uh, Rob is so excited for this. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> we talk about it. We've been talking about it nonstop for the last week. <laughs> and he's the antagonist again. So I just know whenever this guy shows up, I'm going to be really into it. And so the Superior Spider-Man number 32. Awesome. If you're remotely interested in Spider-Verse, pick this up. Cool. Steve. That was beautiful. Um, first of all, check out the variant cover. I know, it's gorgeous. <laughs> and second, um, one of the things that I, I read it too, and I'm, I'm super excited, and I, I echo everything that Justin said, but one of the things that I thought was really, really nice and rather sweet, and it coming from Otto, is that the AI that he is interacting with is, at first, it's um, just like a nondescript, male, bald, no genitals character, mm. And he specifically asks that it reconfigure itself to look like Anna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sealing once and for all any doubt that I had as to whether or not when he was in that situation and in that relationship that he honestly and truly did love her. Mm-hmm. And it was really sweet to see a throwback to that, that he actually asked this AI, he wants his partner and the person helping him to be her, that he's still in love. And I thought that that was really, really sweet. There's a terrific um, panel there where he... She's almost done, like, and he's like, your hair just needs to be just a little bit shorter. And he, like, yeah. when he when she does it, he reaches down and he's like, perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good moment. Cool. Awesome. Who awesome. knew he was romantic? <laughs> so Nobody, apparently. That, uh, yeah. that Otto Octavius. Except for Aunt May. He's a big, he's a big Yo, romantic. That was a, they may not remember that. <laughs> what do you mean? They were engaged. They were nearly married. Oh, I didn't know that. I did that. Way, oh, yeah. way back. But, I did yeah. not know that. He was he was renting a room in their house, and you know Peter came home. I'd like you to meet my new boyfriend. It's Doc Ock <laughs> sitting on the couch. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> bum bum bum. <laughs> awesome. I'm gonna be your new dad. No. <laughs> 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 All right, Superior Spider-Man number thirty-two. Definitely good stuff, Justin. Good Thank good you. stuff. All right, so move on to uh, myself here. Um, so. Uh, the first book I want to talk about uh, last week, the Trey Payback uh, collection of Jeff Lemire's Trillium came out, and uh, 
you know, we talked about this a lot kind of the, when the first half came out and then I, in the, in the last half I kind of fell off and I wasn't really keeping up with it. I, 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 my idea was I'm going to read it all in a chunk. Um, and, uh, when, when I realized the trade was coming out just like kind of the week or so after the final issue came out, I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna get the collected volume. I'd rather have it so I can sit down and read it. Um, and that's what I did. So, um, people don't know, remember Jeff Lear's Trillium is about two people. Um, one who is a soldier in 1921 and one who is a scientist in the year 3797. And through, um, kind of a, I'd say a time portal, they end up meeting and their fates become entwined and the fate of kind of the universe becomes entwined between them. Um, you know, my love for Jeff Lemire is, is, is no secret. And, I you know I was extremely excited for this book, um, and I want to say that I, after reading it, I st- I think it's really really good. The funny thing about it is I, I put it in kind of movie terms for me. I Quentin Tarantino is like my favorite director in, in the entire world, and you know I you know you want every movie that Quentin Tarantino makes to be Pulp Fiction or to be Inglorious Bastards. Sometimes it's Django Unchained, okay. you know, and that's not I mean it's not a great movie, but it's just not like the. The, the top of the pile of the best of the best, which you consider those other movies that you love. And that's my kind of personal opinion about it. And that's a trillion missed to me. I think it, it does really great stuff. I think as far as visual design and artistic um, prowess, I think Lemire has never been better. I think there are stuff in here that he does um, that's a cut above anything he's ever done before in any of his work. The detail of the characters, the realism of the characters, the the diversity of the faces you know, it, they don't all have that, you know, that very signature Jeff Lemire face, you know, because in the previous work, no matter how much I loved it, a lot of times every guy and every girl kind of had the same face. Um, but he keeps the, the emotional through lines that, that I love so much. And obviously the first issue we talked about it when it came out, we've got like that. It's this thing where you read, you read it one side and then you turn over and you read the other side and it, you can, you can read it from either side that you want. Um, and there are several issues that kind of work, uh, None of them work the exact same way as that, but other ones have design that is similar. And there's one issue in particular. Now, this big, big thing happens, right? Where um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil anything. It's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Steve just freaked out. It's, no, because it's, I'm totally gonna read it. It's it's halfway through the book. I'm not even going to the end of the book here. Um, something happens that changes the status quo of the universe, and we get both of our stories again. Except um, this time they're they're split, but they're told the top of the page is one story and the bottom of the page is the other story, and they tell you to read one at first and then the other the other time. And there are moments in these separate stories where you know imagery and panel design. Like if you look at the panel design, we've got one and three, one and three, big one, big one. Mm-hmm. You know they 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 match up with each other all, all throughout um, the book, and there are also times where imagery that's happening on one side that's affecting someone is affecting someone on the other side or the staging of the scene uh, becomes mirrored in in the other scene as well. And it's just some really, really thought out and really powerful design of a book, which is something that I, I don't think um, I, I think about a lot, you know, uh, and, and here it, it's very apparent and, and, and quite amazing. Um, and that's probably my favorite issue is issue I'm talking about right now is probably my favorite issue of the series. Um, you know, and, you know, it, it changes up its, its vibe. It's got a very kind of moon or Solaris vibe to its sci-fi serious, but all, still with kind of a, uh, on the moon side, kind of like an adventure aspect to it as well. And, and some very interesting plot. And, you know, the story of in the very beginning, we see, um, kind of flashes to 
uh, Nika, who's the lead female character, losing her mother, and we don't know what happened. And when you get to that that, that part in the story, it's very powerful and very effective. Um, and there's just some beautiful, beautiful stuff. And there's some very interesting panel design where, uh, you know, it, the, it will start kind of, you know, vertical going across, but then switch to horizontal in a way. There's also a point where it's not just, oh, one half of the book you read this way and the other half of the book you read the other way. There's a point where the worlds are coming together where you're flipping the book every panel wow. to get the different aspect of the different person. Um, so intricate intricate design. Um, you know, at its core, it's a story about, you know, being broken, you know, and, and, and finding the person that's the key to fixing um, that break inside of you. And it's not that that other person is perfect. In fact, they're also very broken, but it's the way that you both fix each other. And that's what the story is really about. Um, and, and this mixing of two very, so different worlds, you know, just post world war one kind of Britain and this colony in the last reaches of space is very diverse and ne- it lets the palette always be interesting. And, he does a very good job too because overall the kind of esoteric stuff and all the very emotional stuff, there's a ticking clock on the entire story because there's this sentient virus called the call that's making its way through the universe that's basically eating away the human population of the universe. And these people are trying to figure out this trillium is a flower that's supposed to be like the only known antidote to the the disease. And they're, they're rushing to find a way to synthesize it and to get it because the only place you can find trillium is in this temple, which is surrounded by these aliens who it's sacred territory. They don't want you coming in and, and taking their stuff away. So there's a constant ticking clock as well. So that makes the actual plot of it entertaining, interesting as well. Definitely reads better as a collected volume, mainly because not because each issue isn't substantial. It's because there's so much going on and there's so much intricate detail, not only to the plot, but also their love story and where everyone is and the, and the repeating details that make certain aspects of the story very powerful. It's hard to keep those in your brain waiting a month to read another issue. So if anyone has kind of waited on it or has been interested, I'd say pick up the, the, um, the trade. Um, it's Vertigo. It's only sixteen ninety nine. Uh, it's eight issues. Uh, really beautiful, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Any bonus features? Um, yeah, there's some a little bit. There's some letters from him and some design documents. Oh, cool. There's also a key to the, the alien language because it's actually yeah. oh, a, that's neat. It's actually just yeah. a, a letter swapping. I wonder if that was in the singles. I have language. All those. Um, so it's pretty cool, uh, and it's got sort of an ambiguous ending a- as well. But it's an ambiguous ending that, that I very much enjoy. Hmm. Uh, really, really great stuff. I highly recommend. It. If you're a fan of Jeff Lemire's work at all, it's highly, highly recommended. Um, the other thing I'm, I want to talk about is not actually a comic book at all, um, but it is written by a comic book writer. It's uh, Brian Michael Bendis's Words for Pictures, The Art and Business of Writing Comics and Graphic Novels. So uh, this came out, I believe, last week. Um, it's obviously written by Brian Michael Bendis, and it's a, basically a textbook on how to write and promote and get your comics published. Hmm. Um, I've been reading it, and I've been going through it like a textbook. I've been marking stuff and highlighting things. Um, and there's some very interesting stuff here. He has he has interviews with Matt Fraction and Ed Brubaker, um, you know, uh, with editors like Diana Schultz, um, you know, just, uh, with with artists. It's, it's a very very interesting take on everything that's going around. Um, you know, chapter all editors roundtables. Some of his collaborators like Michael Avon Oming, stuff like that. They're, they're all talking about how they build stuff. The the one of the coolest things about the book is the samples that they give. I mean. Um, there are literally pages of 
script from Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. In this book, there's full script from um, Bendis himself on issues. He goes through a lot of the the making of Spider-Man, um, the, the obviously the crossover between the Ultimate and the Marvel Universe. Um, Mark Wade Daredevil pages. Um, there's also pitch documents in here. Um, there's there's uh, outlines in here. Everything you could want if you're looking to write a comic book as far as just the nuts and bolts of, of what is there. Um, Where'd you pick that up? I got it at Fourth World. Hmm. Uh, bits available at Barnes and Noble uh, as well. Uh, Amazon, you can get it there as well. Um, you know, it's fascinating. A because you're it's coming from someone who's obviously in the industry, and he talks about when Joe Casada writes a forward to it, and he talks about one of the reasons he went to SVA in New York City was because everyone who teaches there has to be working professional in the field that they're teaching. Because he's like, I didn't have these um, altruistic aspirations of just being an artist for artist's sake. I wanted to make money being an artist. I didn't want to just be a, a poor guy living in a, in a box. He's like, that didn't sound good. That sounded horrifying to me. Um, and so it's cool to see somebody who's working and doing it. Um, and one of the things that Bendis says in here, and he goes over different methods. He goes over um, Marvel method, which obviously, Bob, we've talked about it a few mm-hmm. times, which is named so because um, Stan Lee was writing every book at Marvel and had no co-writer. And how can you write eight books in one time mm-hmm. and also kind of be the editor-in-chief of, of a publication? So he would write, basically, he would go, here, Jack Kirby, here is what I want to happen in the story. You do it. And then he'd fill in the dialogue mm-hmm. later, right? That's, yeah, what, that's what he would do. Uh Bennis talks about that version and also the full script version. The full script version is basically what it sounds like. You sit there and you go, here's the panel layout. Here's what the characters say. Here's what the characters are doing. Um, but he says here as well that, that his full scripts, they're even, he's, he considers them guidelines. He goes to an artist, look, here's the script. Do whatever you want with it because you, these people are artists themselves. They're, they're storytellers. They're creators. They, they have just as much input as you do. And especially if you're not a visual writer, who are you to tell an artist where to mm-hmm. place a character, what shot value they should be using? So, Bendis himself uses full script, but there's a great passage where he says, neither one is right, neither one is wrong. It's whatever you want, write what you want, write what's true to you. And he talks a lot about, you know, don't write something because you think people want it. Because it, it, it's going to be like, you think people want blue today, by the time your book comes out, they've moved off blue and they want red. And then you have something that nobody wants, including yourself, you know, because you can write something for yourself and then it not do well, but at least you wrote something and you're proud of it. And it's something that you want written down. Do not write something just because you think that it will sell. Um, you know, it says also don't intentionally, don't think that there's not that side of the business that you, that you're not writing for an audience that you're not writing to sell things because you are, but that can't be the driving force. Well, Stan always said, do. never give the fans what they think they want. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and most of the great visionaries, that's what they always say, right? Steve Jobs said the same thing. Uh, yeah, you know, people didn't know they wanted this thing before they made it, and now it's all they want in the entire world. <laughs> you know, so you can't go after what people think they want because then you're just chasing something. Um, one thing about the book too is that it's also beautiful. I mean, there's so much great art in here from artists that he's worked with. You know, artists um, even that he hasn't worked with. They're just you know some great art, and he gives breaks down examples in a really really great way. Um, you know, there's there's the fraction stuff is really kind of amazing. We talked about the reason why he picked up doing Marvel Method it was because it terrifies him, and he needed that, you know, that energy and that feeling. You know, because don't don't let people tell you that the writing itself is it, it, enough. You know, because eventually it's like any other job. You're gonna get to the point where it's not exciting anymore. You've got to make it exciting for yourself. 
Um, and you know, there's there's handwritten notes from him, um, everything like that. Uh, so he said this, talks about like writing the issue six of Hawkeye. Um, he said, I took a piece of paper and folded them in half. Across the top, I wrote the issue number and the title. Down the left, I numbered it one through twenty to represent each of the twenty pages for the first five issues, and then I wrote in a short sentence or phrase about what happened on each of those pages. And that's what he gives to David Aja to, to do the panels. Wow. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't script it out, and that's why cool. him and Aja are you know co-creators and co-writers on the book, storytellers on the book. Um, you know, Brubaker talks about working with with Matt Fraction, and he says that uh, on. on um, Iron Fist, and he says that when he worked with him, he had to be the guy who kind of reigned Fraction in, because Fraction would come in with these like insane, huge ideas. <laughs> it had to be like Matt. Let's just let's just scale it back. Like we're still writing an Iron Fist book, so we have to. It has to do these things, you know. And he said it was a very weird thing for him to be the guy who was reigning in somebody else's ideas. You know, we had to be the editor for almost, almost somebody else. But he, he said he loved their kind of working relationship together. Um, it's great, you know, Bendis talks about working with Sarah Pacelli and he goes, look, she doesn't speak English. She barely speaks English. So, it, you know, you have to come up with a, a, a language to speak w- w- with your w- with your, um, with your your artist. And he also says, too, when you're writing your script, you're writing it for the artist. Don't think you're writing for anyone else. Like, make it enjoyable. Make it interesting to read. You know, it doesn't have to be dry. Mm-hmm. But this is not something that a thousand people are going to see. Uh, you know, a million people are going to see. One to three people are probably going to see this book. If you're working... An independent book, maybe one person. You know, if you're working on a, a Marvel or DC book, your editor will probably see it as well as as the artist. But that's it. So your job in your script is to make it convey the visual language of your story to the artist, so they can create it. Um, it it's it's a great great book. Uh, you know, it's inspiring. It and also like all great writers talk about this stuff. The ones that are great at it, it's not this is how you do it, and that's it. It's just this is one way you can do it, um, and it's worked for me. And you know you can try it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, really great stuff. I mean, he mentions all the other like really big ones: the Denny O'Neill book, the, the Scott McCloud understanding comic stuff. Um, you know, but th- th- he teaches a course at in, at Portland University, so it's an inter- it's it's really cool to see how that comes into this book. It, it's been really great to read it. That's awesome. Yeah. It's good to know that there's another one of those types of books out there that's worth people's attention. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the most modern. You're looking through the art you're showing, yeah, well, it's that's, stuff yeah. that's on the shelf. Like I have right I have a couple of those books and they're really interesting and they're really cool, but it's nice to know like that's all fresh and current stuff. Yeah. It's cool. There's also like he this is there's actually Brian Michael Bendis art in this, like when he was a kid and he was, you know, making Iron Man comics and it's actually not bad. And stuff. No, it's not bad. Um but he said he I can't, I can't remember the story. Multi talented person. Right now he met um John uh Tuttlebin. Who was who did uh, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing with him? Oh. He met him at a very small convention, and he was talking to him. And he said, as a kid, like you know, you know, there were people like um, Walt Simon and stuff were like his gods at that point. And so that that art was like so moody and so hard, he like didn't know how to handle it. And then he was at this con, and he was like, there were a lot of people there, and someone came in like, oh, Walt Simon's in a con across the street, and he like dropped the books <laughs> that he, of this other guy and ran across the street. And he said later on when he met him later, that guy, he apologized to him. He's like, I feel horrible for doing that to you. But he met Walt Simonson and he said, he, he asked Walt Simonson like, you know, 50 questions that an idiot would ask somebody. And Walt s- sat there all that time, answered all his questions, critiqued his art. He would send letters and, and, and pages to Walt like every month from then on. And Walt would always respond and always give him critiques. And he said, um, you know, he, he learned two things that day. He learned, 
from that from the, the first artist you learned you got to be yourself you have to do what's true to you and the second thing you learned was to be like Walt Simonson was to be <laughs> kind and generous and open and helpful to people um, and it, it's it, there's a lot of great stories mixed with a lot of great um, tutelage in here it's a really really great if anyone's interested in getting into the business learning about the business just understanding how comics are made better this is a great book words for pictures the art and business of writing comics and graphic novels by Brian Michael Bendis. What is the price of? It wasn't bad. It was twenty four ninety nine. Wow, for a book that's it's a huge book. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a mini textbook basically. Hmm. Um, great, great stuff. Well worth the price. I think anybody who's interested in comics should read it, even if you're not interested in writing comics. That, Indeed, that's how interesting it is. Cool. All right, Bobo, what do you got for us? Oh, <laughs> I don't know how I follow that, but I'm going to give it a shot. She Hulk number seven. Yeah. Charles Soule, Javier Polito. Munster Vicente, Clayton Cowles. It's the usual set. Now that we have Javier Polito back, this is a one and done. Jen and Patsy are tasked by their friend Rufus, who needs to find his inventor partner Reza, who has used that invention, Shrinko, (laughs) to go into hiding because he doesn't want to sell out this invention. He's looking to keep it hidden and just something they can make money on. However, things don't go well when you shrink yourself and end up in the backyard. So Jen calls in the expert help of Henry Pym, and they all take a trip downwards to where even the simplest thing in nature is a deadly threat. (laughs) And there are plenty of them, as Hank continues to point out. Now, eventually, the ladies are separated from Hank in a really sort of scary moment. And it's sort of the superhero version of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. (laughs) It totally is. It totally is. But it is filled with great humor, But there's action. There's a lovely dramatic moment between Jen and Patsy as they sort of sort out some of their own issues here. Just really great fun by Charles Soule. The book has been great all the way through. And with with the welcome return of Javier Polito here, just the layouts, the the visuals here are just crazy nuts. And we do have the sperm eyes back on, (laughs) on on the splash page. But it, it's the the big stuff. It's hilarious. I mean, ants and and the, you've got the whole Henry Pym's helmet is back in play here. It's the smaller moments, it's little moments between the characters here that they just pay this off. And we have a really nice finish to this too. On top of everything else, is a real lovely little surprise mm-hmm. as we get to the end. I, I know some people were really not happy with the last two issues. The art was um, interesting. <laughs> it was pretty it, radical. It was. It was a. There were parts of it that worked well. The, the uh, Tigra maniacal scenes, the sort of illusionary things might have worked, but it's so great to have Javier Polito back. This mm-hmm. is just... It's been fun from the beginning. I'm loving this even more now. I laughed out loud at about three points. That first page is priceless, where they're showing off like what the gun can do, yeah. and Hellcat, the, the little cap, she's like, I want one. Can I keep this? Um, the moment where Jen yells, holy shit. But... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she does. It's bleeped out, but you know what it is, or you know, insert your word here. So funny, and yeah, it really was. It was like the backyard scenes or portion of Honey I Shrunk the Kids, but with superheroes. Oh. When Jen's trying to control the ants, it's like dealing with a whole bunch of four-year-olds. Only one is sugar. Yep, really good stuff. This is the kind of book that Marvel is doing so well right now. It's very outside normalcy. Mm-hmm. And yet, because it's their regular characters in their regular universe, it still ties back into everything, and you still feel you're reading something that 
you should. It's a very good issue, too, if you've been on the fence about picking up She-Hulk because you just, you just don't know. Yeah, it's a it's a one and done kind of issue that if you when you pick it up, you'll get the vibe and the playfulness of it and the feel of it that maybe you'll want to go and pick up the trade. That's me. Yeah. That was me. I read the first couple of issues and I just fell away. Like I I was enjoying it, but it wasn't enjoying it enough to keep mm-hmm. it on my pull list. But from what you guys are saying, I'm looking at the art. It's like, all right, yeah, I think I have to give this guy a shot. Yeah, oh, yeah. the the art gets sketchy for about two issues. Um, it gets pretty ugly at times. Um, but the story and the content is still, you know, rock solid. It just so happens that there really was a dip in quality. It's all according to taste, but it was a little bit to trudge through. But to get back, it's like, you know, people were complaining about Javier Polito. There are sirens and, you know, yes. confetti dropping from the skies because he's back on this issue. When I saw him in the solicitations, it was okay. It's back. Yeah. The other two issues were a noble experiment it was a slightly more serious story so they were they slightly more stylized art you're i'm being, trying to be very nice very <laughs> i'm trying to be very you're nice about very it kind. i have to see this but the story was still amazing charles soul beginning to end here mm-hmm. he's written his name in the great she-hulk writers here with slot and burn and everybody else steve gerber did a nice little run and this is lots of legal stuff and still wildly funny. I am going to tell him you said that. Do so. I will. Do so. I'll tell him tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Now. <laughs> Will that. Okay. We're, I'm going last because we're going to be kind of serious. Uh-oh. Sort of. Duck Grave of the Firefly serious. More. <laughs> More. Last Wednesday, uh, the day of our program, was actually the 69th anniversary of the atomic bombing of Hiroshima. So that's pretty serious, right? We're talking serious. Crickets. Yeah. Okay. So uh, when we first started on here, uh, the, uh, there's a, a very famous 10-volume manga series. Marvel was very happy with me. That's called Barefoot Gen. It was created in, 19, ah. in 1972 as a one-shot. That actually had followed. He, he wrote, uh, Keiji Nakazawa had written, I Saw It, The Atomic Bombing of Hiroshima, which is actually his. I've heard of this. Yeah. Who, uh, that was his actual family story. This is the sort of fictionalized version, but not much. He was seven years old that day. And it was originally published as a one-shot in Weekly Shonen Jump, and then the volumes continued. They are still around in print. They've been now translated as a, 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 a Gen project that's translated this into dozens and dozens of languages. It's in libraries constantly, though they've been pulled from some Japanese libraries recently, because the books mention some atrocities committed by Japanese soldiers in the rape of Nanking and some of these other things. And governments change. You have more conservative, less conservative, and things change. Anyway, the story is this. He was seven years old, going to school when the bombs fell, and manages to escape uninjured, runs back in, in the graphic novel as opposed to his real life, discovers his... his then-pregnant mother standing next to the ruins of his house with his family buried within, and his father covered in ruins, the fire is raging, sends his son and his wife away, and, to, and he lets himself die rather than have them try to save him and kill themselves. Cheery. In the attempt. Very cheery. But what it really ends up being, there is the specter of uh, atomic radiation, people getting sick, the, the, the horrendous 
images. Uh, amazing in this anime style, the manga style, that you can do this sort of horrible, horrible things. Uh, Mr. Nakazawa, he, as a child, became fascinated with comic books, decided to get into this. His mother sacrificed in her, her sickness. She died finally in 1966 as a result of, of the bombing and created this when they, they, oh boy, here's heavy stuff. They cremated his mom and the bones turned into just white powder from the radiation within her wow. bones. It didn't even turn into ash the way a normal person's bones would have. Wow. At that moment, he decided to do this series as the beginning of a protest against nuclear weapons in general. So this is, one of the, this is one of these things that, yeah, it's a comic book, but it's also one of the most important pieces of graphic literature ever made. That um, would be, I'm sorry, Bob. I go go ahead. To, no, please. No, we, were, we had a discussion, you know, a couple months back about comics being used in education and graphic novels as a, you know, teacher's tool. This might be a book to add to that list. I would say yes, but I'm going to tell you that this is something that's going to have to be at least junior high school or high school up. That's fine. This is extremely graphic, and it needs to be to get the message across. This isn't some monster movie from the 50s. This isn't, well, let's pretend. This is... The real effects of... Right. Families dying, hordes of wounded people wandering the streets, their eyes coming out and skin falling off their bones. But here's the thing. He did this in an era where in Japan, I I just read a book, it's called Hiroshima Notes by Kenzaburo O won the Nobel Prize for Literature, he went back to Hiroshima in the 60s. And through the 60s, the government wouldn't allow the studies of the victims, wouldn't allow it to be talked about, written about. Our occupational government through the 40s was the same. Oh, nothing happened. Everyone will be fine. Don't worry. You know, it's, it's the sort of cautionary tale we need to know about our own, whether it's fracking whether it's nuclear power where there shouldn't be, whether it's we poison. Here on Long Island, we've discovered we've got poison in our wells because we all want green lawns. So we'll put nitrogen fertilizer and we're drinking this sort of water. <laughs> See? Yeah, you didn't know that. He's got to read the paper. Right. Oh, it's really boy. bad stuff. But here's someone who saw an inequity and decided to do something about it, and he did it in our medium. And uh, he passed away again just a couple of years back. But search these out. Either I saw it, which is available, which came out first, which is his actual story, or then Barefoot Gen. There are ten volumes. The first three are the first days of the bombing, and the just after, because the, the the initial two thirds of that first volume is his family. We set up his sister, his mom, his brother, who's in the service, who's experiencing terrible deprivation because his dad in in the book and in real life protested the war you didn't do that Mm. in a japan of world war ii right he was some said this war is stupid why don't we stop Mm -hmm. it's over we're 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 starving the father when you first see him is leading the, the, the children his two sons through the wheat field and how wheat is just such an amazing crop it no matter what you do no matter how badly you step on no matter what happens it comes back it grows back and at the end of this volume we end with Gen standing in the field as they were told that grass would never grow in Hiroshima. It would be 75 years until it grew. And just as his hair has fallen out from the radiation, his hair is beginning to grow back, the grass has come back, the wheat field begins to grow, and he sees his father in the clouds, and he hears that speech again. So for all the horror here, hmm. it is still it's a story of survival and courage of a little boy who does the right thing for his family and his 
nation and the world. How has this been collected over the years? It has been collected about 14 different ways in a million different languages. Right now, it's 10 volumes in English. Wow. It is, uh, they are not as easy to get. I was hoping to have my hands on real copies. I have photocopies of pages here in front of me because How'd it you was, read it then? You can read it online. There's an online, ar- online, online archive, which is where I read the first volume. The first volume is 280 pages. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is not. So this is a, this is like this, a thing. Right. The first three, again, it's, it's Hiroshima, then out of the day after, and then out of the ashes. And then we get into all the after-war years to where his mom has passed and, and moving forward into the protests through the 60s and 70s. It sounds tragically amazing. It is staggeringly heartfelt. You'll cry, you'll laugh, because it's two little boys still doing stuff. And I'm not, there are things I'm not spoiling. There are moments that should be read. But I, I found it, it was just, I typed in Barefoot Gen, which is G-E-N, by the way, it's a hard G. Mm-hmm. I was going to make sure I didn't. I, I mangle so many Japanese words on this show. I was going to get this one right. And I just typed that in online, and it just came up as an archive, and it's just very easily scrolled through. The other volumes I can't seem to find. Well, it seems like I, I see volumes one, two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 all in stock on Amazon. Cool. Um, to buy. So, and they're all kind of in that 11 to $13 range each. Um, I don't see volume three. There is one called, that's not available, called Barefoot Gen Life After the Bomb. That's the one. That's volume three? That's three. Okay, so that one is not in print. Um, but you can get it. They have Amazon second sellers. You can get it new for $17 yeah. or used for a dollar. Um, so. There you go. They, now, they've also done two different live action movies. Two animes, a TV series fairly recently. That's how I know it. Right. Okay. The the 83 anime, was the screenplay is by Mr. Nakazawa. Nice. And that takes up the first three volumes, Ooh. basically. I smell an ink and pixel article. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Side note. Hard to come by on DVD, however. We'll find it. Okay. Together. So that's my book of the week. That's great, Bob. That's great. I mean, I mean people who don't know you, I don't know... Um, this is this is a topic that you you that's very I don't know the word interesting seems like it's you know it, it's a happy uh, connotation to it but it's it's a topic that is very you're very passionate about yes because um, uh, I know there's a movie a lot of movies and stories it's a story that you you're always every every year you mention the, the mm-hmm. anniversary and I, I think it, it's it I think it's great because it's one of those it's a hard part of our history but it's something that needs to be remembered and needs to be talked about mm-hmm. so it's it's great. Um, what are you talking about? So, Barefoot Gen, right? Gen. Gen, sorry. Barefoot Gen. Um, yeah, it looks, seems like most of them are pretty available on Amazon. So, if you want to check them out, you can check them out there. Um, so, before we go to break, uh, we, um, this is not comic book related, but uh, Robin Williams, uh, oh. comedian, actor, uh, Oscar winner, uh, died this, this week at the age of 63 from apparent suicide. Yeah, um, which is uh, it's, it's obviously just tragic, and it was one of those situations where the new I heard the news, and I didn't I wasn't really prepared for how much it was going to affect me. You know, I loved Robin Williams for a very long time as an actor, but uh, I I can't say I, I thought much about him in that context in, in probably the last I don't know ten years. But it, it hit me pretty hard. And um, before we even get to Robin Williams, I just want to say, and this has been a, a, a very 
uh, kind of a constant sentiment and it's a great sentiment to have. There's always someone out there who wants to listen to your problems, who is there for you, who loves you. You know, if you're having problems, um, you know, call someone, email someone, someone out there cares. So don't think ever that it's hopeless. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's one of the things that people need to realize above anything else. Um, But um, past that, Robin Williams, um, I, I, you know, I, I know how I feel about him and I know, Steve is a huge, yeah. huge fan of Robin Williams. Um, so, Steve, I want to let you kind of go first. Uh, you know, I don't know what we. I don't. I, this is not much structure to talking about something like this, but um, you know, your feelings about it, and then maybe a couple of your favorite Robin Williams yeah. moments. I guess. Um, okay, so yesterday I was um, I was pretty. I, I was already having a bad day. I'm, I'm just. I'm just going to get very real with our audience for a minute. Um, I had a lot of things going on, um, personal life outside of, of talking comics. So when we're not doing this and we're not being silly and enthusiastic about comics, we have a very real life to live just like anybody else. Um, I was already kind of having a bad day and I really just needed to get out and I needed to drive around and go and do something. Um, one of my favorite things to do, funny enough, in Brooklyn is go to this giant supermarket called The Fairway. The Fairway is this magical place filled with food and samples and all this all this stuff. They decided to open one up about maybe 20 minutes from us near the Lake Grove uh, shopping centers near Whole Foods oh, okay. and stuff. Yeah. Let me tell you something. This place is incredible <laughs> food-wise. You want craft beer? You want a cheese section that will make you drop to your knees and you want to sample some stuff? It's incredible. So I'm like, I need to do something. I need to get out. I heard they opened up a fairway. I'm going to go and I'm going to get myself like a nice wedge of cheese and get a beer and sit down mm-hmm. and whatever. And I pull up, and I'm like jazzed. I'm like getting my phone out. I'm taking pictures of the damn place. And I get a text from our friend Rob, and he just puts Robin Williams' sad face with like tears. And I go, I went, what? Like all caps, what? He goes, yeah. And I, I looked it up on my phone, and I said, I can't even, I can't with this right now. Like I'm about to go into this place, and I'm going to walk around. And I just, I couldn't even process it. Anyway, if you ever in Long Island, New York, or in Brooklyn, the fairway, it's magical. It's amazing. It's a lot of food. Uh, I spent about an hour and a half in there just walking around a food store mm-hmm. um, because I couldn't do anything else. I needed to do something completely mindless and just find a couple of, of treats. Like I brought the this Founders uh, Dirty Bastard Ale with us tonight, which is a, a scotch style ale because I needed to take a drink and just, you know, take a little bit of the edge off. But more more in line of, of the Robin Williams stuff, um, I've gr- I grew up with Robin Williams. Robin Williams was a very, very big presence in my family in general. Um, both of my parents, my mom and my father, were huge fans of uh, Good Morning Vietnam. They absolutely loved that movie. And another movie that I saw constantly growing up was Awakenings with Robert De Niro mm, and yeah. Robert Williams. So great, man. Um, and just throughout the years, there have been... I don't get really upset over celebrity deaths. I mean, I do, but if I don't have like a personal connection to them, I hate to say it. I don't mean to be a, a dick and I don't mean to be cold, but like I kind of I go about my day. It doesn't really... Like Philip Seymour Hoffman, that bothered me and kind of hit me but it did not not like this i still am in kind of in partial denial like i was hoping that i was going to wake up this morning and it was all going to be a hoax 
Um, however, details about how he died came about today. And they're pretty brutal. And obviously, he he meant to see it through, and, and he did. And uh, it's just terrible. But um, if I had, like, cinematic heroes, if I made a list, like if we made a list for the show, I mean, he would be at the top of that list within at least the top three people that, like, John Candy being one of them. John Candy is my most significant celebrity death of all time. I loved that man. Never met him. Just I endeared myself to him unconditionally through his performances in, in various movies, whether it be Planes and Trains and Automobiles or Uncle Buck, Great Outdoors, Summer Rental, whatever. Um, I mean, I got a list here. I already mentioned uh, two movies, but The Fisher King. The Fisher King inspires me on levels that, I mean, film can only do a couple times in your life. The Fisher King is one of those movies for me. Uh, my absolute favorite, somebody asked me this on Twitter, my favorite movie of all time with Robin Williams is Death to Smoochie. I just, it's a, his most underrated comedic performance, and the movie is so dark and so up my alley and speaks to me. I show it to everybody that I care about. I sit them down and we watch it, and everybody I've ever shown it to falls in like an odd love with that movie. Um, other movies I really loved with him are Aladdin and Hook. I watched Jumanji today. I watched um, The Birdcage last night and uh, One Hour Photo, which was super creepy, and Insomnia, which was great. There's, there's, of course, Mrs. Doubtfire and Toys and Aladdin. And it just, the list goes on and on of this person that has been in these movies that has entertained you and given so much of themselves to you on screen that you can't help but feel like you're personally connected to them. I mean, it's not a superficial level, mm. but, you know, even though I've never met him, I feel like if I did run into him at like an airport, I was going to Canada and he just happened to be there, you know, I could talk to him. I could strike up a conversation. Instead of falling all over him, I would just shake his hand and just be like, you know, thank you for all the laughs, for everything that you do and for just having such a wide range. Like, as soon as I see your beard, I know that I'm in for some seriousness. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're shaved, I'm going to laugh. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things. And Popeye and Mork and Mindy and, and all this great stuff throughout the years. And, um, yeah, I, and instead of instead of crying and instead of wallowing and instead of, like, just getting super down about it, I've just been spending whatever free time I've had celebrating the man's library and going back and whether it be on Netflix or busting out stuff from my own collection um, ever since yesterday afternoon, it has been a nonstop Robin Williams film fest in my home. Mm. Um, I love him. I've never met him. He's entertained me just like Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd and John Candy and Steve Martin and all that, that whole group of people, Chevy Chase and Bill Murray and, you know, that era of comedy and drama and those people that were able to do it all, he was able to do it all. And um, I just, anytime he showed up, whether it be the genie or even Dr. No from um, AI, mm. I just, I love him and I'm going to miss him terribly. So that's that's my little piece. Yeah, uh, it's it's rough. I mean, the, the stuff that got me more than most, there was quotes from like his, uh, his wife and from mm. his daughter mm -hmm. that almost made me like I couldn't even control myself when I, when I was reading them um, you know it's sad that someone who brought people so much joy had so much trouble feeling it you know him, himself um, but like you said to celebrate kind of his his life and and his moments I mean to me um, 
you know, like I said, as a child, uh, you know, Aladdin was probably my first favorite movie, you know, mm-hmm. as a kid. And uh, the, he w- was the pinnacle to me for a very, very long time of anything you could do with that kind of performance. Um, you know, I could, I still listen to Friend Like Me and, and Prince Ali never sometimes, had a never had a you know, and it's just, it's amazing, you know, it's... It, 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 yeah, he he changed the game a lot in, in, in that instance, and um, you know I remember also as a kid watching uh, Fern Gully, the Last Rainforest, yeah. where he was also he was the voice of that bat Bartok. Yeah, Bartok the bat, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, obviously. Um, People rag on that movie these days because it's <laughs> passe. That yeah. movie was great. I, I I loved that movie. I watched that movie so many times as a kid. Um, that that movie actually got me into Aerosmith because the dude looks like a lady <laughs> nice. in that scene. Nice. Um, lo- loved loved that. Um, the Birdcage. The Birdcage. Uh, the Birdcage is literally one of my favorite comedies of all time. Hank Azaria. It kills me. Oh, yeah. Movie. Hank Azaria is amazing. Nathan Lane's amazing. But the whole thing with, um, you know, Robin Williams doing all the different dances and stuff yep, on yep. the. Uh, Marsha Graham. Marsha Graham. <laughs> yeah. Madonna. Madonna. <laughs> um, all that stuff. Uh, amazing. Always made me laugh, you know. And, the, you know, the uh, Goodwill Hunting, obviously, is something. And, and Ben Affleck, you know, posted something like a beautiful today where he said. How do you repay the person who gave you your dream? You know, you, yeah, the answer wow. is you can't. Um, it, it's just it's it, it was amazing to me how much I felt after it happened because I didn't expect it. You know, but thinking back on those times and things that I loved so much that he was in it, it it's pretty amazing. Um, Bob, I don't know if you if you were a Rob Williams fan or sure everyone is at some level or another. For me, you mentioned some of the movies that I really love with him, mm-hmm. uh, Awakenings, which is yeah. Not a big fan of what De Niro does in that movie somehow. It seemed a little staged, but every scene that Robin Williams is in that movie, especially the stuff with Julie Kavner, yeah. it's just so heartfelt. He so cared. And I think that translates to his real life. This is a fellow who gave away millions and millions of his own dollars to charity, comic relief things mm-hmm. through all those years. Every time there, there was some tragedy he was going to show up and he was going to do yeah. his bit and, mm-hmm. and put it out there and you couldn't get that help you're describing mm. for himself. Yeah. And I was watching some something today. You'll know this name only because he was on Mork and Mindy. It was a comedian from when I was a kid. His name was Jonathan Winters. Yeah. Mm. And he was quite literally mental. <laughs> he was in institutions. He had his own set of problems. And they got together for Mork and Mindy. He became Robin Williams' mentor. They'd sit around, apparently, at one of their houses and just riff on each other, hold up ludicrous items, and just do 20 minutes. <laughs> there are clips of them on The Tonight Show together that have to be seen to be believed as <laughs> Johnny, who was in control every minute, is not. It's not his show anymore. It's these two nuts just going crazy. And it's the purest example of brilliance you can imagine it is just coming out of nowhere and jonathan went just passed last year and now robin williams that that whole part of comedy that's something that's now just gone there'll never yeah. be anyone to replace what robin williams did justin are you a robin williams fan i think as bob said everybody is mm. at some level um you know i enjoyed all the movies that you said uh the bull you know everyone said growing up it's funny because i have my son jorah i've watched aladdin 70 times in the last two months uh so you know it, it's a, upset uh, upsetting to hear for sure um like steve was saying like as far as like when a celebrity dies it, you know it doesn't really i don't mean to sound callous like exactly what steve's saying but it doesn't really affect me you know on a personal level you're sad to hear it mm. what what um bothered me yesterday was the 
the means that happened because when you first hear he passes away you're thinking oh heart attack or mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. and then you find out it was suicide and that affects me and not to get overly personal but um in the past i've uh, struggled with um depression and and bad thoughts i struggled with it greatly for a very long amount of time and echoing what you said earlier um i can only add to that my own personal experiences um there's always somebody there and there's always somebody that um wants to hear what you're, you're feeling and you're thinking and um don't shut yourself away because shutting yourself yeah. away could be the worst decision that you'll ever make and um it's not things aren't not as bad as they always seem so yeah just from my own personal experience and just uh experience throwing that out there just it's a real thing that people struggle with and uh it's said that it takes something like this to you know bring it to the attention of everybody mm. But um, mental health is something that a lot of people do struggle with. And uh, if you're one of the people that are experiencing that, then please take all uh, available avenues to get help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll say this to anybody out there. I don't know you, but I, I care. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, so yeah. Yeah. you know, we're, we're always here as well. Yeah. Um, get help. And our condolences to Rob Williams' friends and family. Um, we did this at the end because we're going to take a break, regroup, bring the show back up, do some of your listener questions. Um, We'll be back right after this. Show some respect down on one knee. Now try your best to stay calm. Brush up your Sunday salon. Then come and meet his spectacular coterie. Prince Ali, mighty is he, Ali Ababwa. Strong as ten regular men, definitely. He faced galloping hordes. A hundred bad guys with swords. Who sent those goons to their lords? Why, Prince Ali! He's got 75 golden cans. Don't they look lovely, June? Fabulous, Harry, I love the feathers. When it comes to exotic type mammals, has he got a zoo? I'm telling you, it's a world class menagerie! Prince Ali, handsome as he, Ali Ababwa. That's a zake, how can I speak? Wake at the name. Well, get on out in that square. I just have a prepare. Talk, gawk, and gravel and stare at Prince Ali. He's got 
All right, we are back to answer some of your listener questions. Um, so this is from Sergio Torres on Facebook. And he says, hey, guys, um, can you talk about your opinions and predictions on um, the upcoming untitled DC movies? Thanks, guys. So last week, we didn't talk about this in news because I knew we were going to get to it here. Um, obviously, there is the big shakeup that um, Superman, uh, Batman versus Superman uh, Dawn of Justice was moving off of May 6th, 2016 and over to uh, March 25th, 2016, moving it um, yeah, about a month be- before Captain America 3 was, was set to hit. Um, smart. <clears throat> along with that, it's very, very smart because they're going to get a, a tremendously huge mm-hmm. opening. They're going to get all this, you know, biggest March opening ever, all of this stuff. Um, you know, opening it against Captain America would just have been a wrong move for, on both parts because neither movie would have performed the way that it would have. Because, quite honestly, Superman and Batman probably still would have outgrossed in the opening weekend, Captain America, but they wouldn't have been able to say, like, look, we have a $250, $250 million opening weekend. Yeah. It would have been like, oh, we got 70 You know, and then who cares about that in, in, the, in their kind of ego-centric uh, part of all of that. Hmm. So um, moving to, I think, is a, is a good move for them. But along with that, uh, they announced eight dates uh, uh, um, with no titles to any of the movies. Um, I mean, this is very much obviously a business thing, right? It's yeah. saying, like, these are the dates. We have them. You can't have them. That's what they're saying to Marvel. Yeah. Um, apparently, the, the thing was that they didn't really believe that Marvel would have Captain America kind of ready to go for that date. And once Marvel announced that was going to be the date, then it was kind of a foregone conclusion that they were going to mm-hmm. move. But now they've staked out, well, I'll, well, I'll throw out the dates. And we don't have to. I, I, I did a new story for this, the site on TalkingComicBooks.com last week where I kind of guessed at what, what was going to be where. But... We've got August 5th, 2016. Um, we've got June 23rd, 2017. November 17th, 2017. March 23rd, 2018. July 27th, 2018. April 5th, 2019. June 14th, 2019. April 3rd, 2020. And June 19th, 2020. <laughs> I'll be dead by then. These are the movies. <laughs> no, you won't. I'll be on Social Security by then. <laughs> I'll take care of you, Bob. Okay. Um, now... A few weeks before all this came out, before Comic-Con, actually, uh, kind of famous Hollywood insider Nikki Fink was t- w- had said that DC was going to announce a slate um, of movies at, um, at Comic-Con, which didn't happen. Her ideas were Shazam, Sandman, Justice League, Wonder Woman, Flash and Green Lantern team up, and Man of Steel 2. Um, so, uh, Bob, do you have any other ideas about what do you think is going to be in, the, in those dates? Considering that's... Could they go really off script and try something really outlandish? Based on past performance, no. They've really stuck really close to the vest. So to them, Shazam is an outlier. Did you say Aquaman in there? No, Aquaman is not on there. Okay, I think that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. If he plays really well in the movie, they've announced the casting officially yeah. today of Jason Momoa. Yes. The Submariner as Aquaman. <laughs> Whatever. If, if that translates well to audiences... I think they'll slide him in. I think you have to have a Flash Green Lantern movie. I, I was saying that before. Mm. That was their, to me, that was their way into a Justice League movie, a Flash Green Lantern team. But those always, those two characters worked so well in the old Justice League books. You could have done that, a Superman, Batman, right into a Justice League mm. without having to introduce five other characters. 
I I know they have high hopes for Shazam. They've you know supposedly officially cast now. Mm, I, right? Who knows? But they haven't said officially. Right. He said he's in a in a in a DC yeah. movie. We don't know what it is yet. I'm so, I'm so tired of this. I, I know. It, it is just one of those things that that's the tone of that has to be right or it's going to you're going to annoy people on either side of that equation so mm-hmm. those of us who want to see the kid friendly Shazam that you guys might know from the cartoon of the live action show mm-hmm. that was in reruns for years or even the uh, the Ordway one mm-hmm. or the radio or, play that we did or the radio play <laughs> yeah, we did exactly <laughs> but that, that's Captain Marvel was that Captain Marvel was created to be a kid's book mm-hmm. and it was a kid's fantasy you say the magic word and you're a grown up superhero yeah that's pretty darn cool goth emo teenager with a hoodie yeah might not play to the same audience it's it might find a different audience and if they've got the rock in this mm-hmm. thing my goodness you've got a built-in audience of someone who isn't a comic book person right that was the first one she was speculating right yeah and i still think that's what's going to happen it's the only one where there's been any movement or any kind of in, any seemingly behind the scenes machinations happening it makes me think it's the only one they could possibly get out in 2016 that's along with Batman versus Superman. Yeah. So I, I, it's the only one I can imagine that would be out. When's the, when's the Justice League movie supposed to come? We do not have an exact date. I think that's going to be the 18? June 23rd. No, I think it's 2017. Okay. I think that's part of the reason why we have this big gap. I think that they are, there's been rumors of it. I think they are filming stuff back to back right now. I think that, or it's going to be nearly back to back. I think they go right into it. I think you know this all this space where they'll be finishing visual effects. I think you're going to hear it sooner or later. They're going to announce that it's going to be out the year after. Uh, I think they want to capitalize as quickly as possible on on, on that. That would make sense. Mm. Um, that, that's what I think anyway. I, I just think that all of those actors, how do you keep them around and not worry about them kind of going other places? How do you have all these people you know, doing all of this stuff? You do it really, really quickly so that you don't have to worry about Ben Affleck's schedule and oh, you know, Jason Momoa's schedule and Zack Snyder's schedule and all of these moving pieces that you're putting together here. You need to do it as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you're not talking about what Marvel does, which is cast lesser-known actors to play these roles. They're still signing up for a lot of movies, but I, I feel like there's probably a lot of, like, we want bigger names, so let's... There's probably more concessions happening for these people's careers than is happening on the Marvel side of things. Hmm. Um, that's what I think. I mean, I, um, I mean, we've heard about Sandman. You know, we, we, we've heard that mentioned. We've heard about Wonder Woman. Steve, what do you think? Justice League Dark? Yeah, yeah, that's another one. I, I, it's going to happen in one of those. It's got to be. Yeah. But who the hell knows? Gimbalo Toro is supposed to make Pacific Rim 2. He's making it now. So yeah. that's, and that's two years of his life right there. You know, so I, I don't think we're looking at that until... 2018, 2020. Still trying to do at the Mountains of Madness. Yeah, exactly. So you you figure there have to be another Batman movie, a standalone one somewhere down the line. Yeah, the rumor of that a couple months ago was the Batman, and that would be in like 2019. That was the that was the rumor about that. I mean, and and, to be fair, we're going to see him on screen a lot more than that. Obviously, we're going to get Batman v Superman. We're going to get Justice League somewhere in between that and that. So you're not going to go more than two years without seeing Batman on screen Mm -hmm. at, at that point. Um, there's going to be a Wonder Woman solo movie. Like you said, just, uh, I, I think the Flash Green Lantern thing is going to happen. Um, you know, and I think one of those is probably supposed to be Man of Steel 2, probably mm-hmm. maybe Justice League 2 when you get really, really far down that line. Um, you know, it's tough. To, to, it's all speculation, right? Because we have rumors, we have hearsay, but we don't even have the Justice League movie announced officially for a date yet, so we don't even know kind of how to, how to pace around it. You know, are they going to... 
because either Justice League's gonna happen right away or it's not gonna happen for a few years in my mind. Um, but that's just me. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really hope that they'll kind of put that off for a while and build. I mean, we were always talking about how they're behind Marvel. They can start now, like, but do it so that you plan it, that you have your solo films out there, or if you have like your minimal team up movies out there that you are building to, you know, like Avengers was the finale of the first wave and second wave of Marvel films all, you know, coalescing into one big team movie. To me, that's the way to do it. To do it any other way would be piling on stuff that audiences I don't know will react to as well as if they were, you know, having like a, a, a jazz for something years out, knowing that you're going to see all these people together in one film within like two, three years time is really exciting as opposed to walking into a film knowing you're going to have to get to know four or five new heroes before it's over in two hours. I don't know. If you see a movie with Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, you know, Green Lantern, The Flash, people are going to be excited for it. And look, Uh, look at Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy is a team movie. And you get five characters who you didn't know at all before. Right, but will will the not knowing them at all, like, they, they gave us what they gave us and everybody was really happy about that. But the fact that these are known beyond seasoned characters with with rich histories dating back to several decades you're going to have that whole group of people that are going to want to see that stuff first or at least have it be in there somewhere to cram all of that in i just i'm not saying that it won't be great i just don't know that it'll be as rewarding as if you were to to kind of you know portion it out a little bit. No, I, I agree with you, but also I don't think I don't think DC is going to want to there to be three Avengers movies before there's ever a Justice League movie. Because if they waited, that's what that's what would happen, right? They would end up doing it after the third Avengers movie probably came out. Yeah. Um, and I don't think they're going to want to wait for that to happen. Um, but then everybody will be sick of the Avengers and they'll want to go over to yeah, the yeah, Justice yeah, League. Yeah, yeah. They'll be doing they'll be watching the Inhumans by then. Yeah, it's true. Absolutely. The Avengers will be totally different roster by then as well. Probably. Yeah, we caps Kooky Quartet. Yeah. <laughs> playing toward that um, but yeah I, I think that the movies we kind of mentioned are the ones that are probably in play I don't think there's going to be any huge surprises I think you know the, I, I, the Shazam Aquaman I, I, you know might be swapped out you may might see Aquaman swapped in for something else here or there but I, I, I think that you're looking at probably what the movies are going to look like a Wonder Woman solo film a Batman solo film um, Green Lantern Flash yeah. No Chance of Arrow Ah, uh, you know, I don't think so because I, I, I think that you might, you might, you might pop up in a Justice League movie, um, but I don't, you know, first of all, it's amazing that Oliver Queen Arrow is the lead of a te- television show, <laughs> considering <laughs> how popular he was before that show began. You know, at, at the time, um, I, you know, I don't think, I don't know if you get a solo film with him. I, I just don't know. I was just trying to think of one that would be yeah, a I mean, surprise. It's a good, yeah, Martian Manhunter is one. Yeah, there you go. Uh, though David Gore thinks he's stupid, <laughs> so I don't know if you're gonna if you're gonna get <laughs> Martian Manhunter, uh, even though he's an original. Um, I mean, Zack Snyder was sticking up for Aquaman a whole lot like last week about people thinking he was lame. He called up a radio station in Detroit to yeah. actually defend Aquaman's well, honor. Yeah. yeah. So I think you're definitely going to see some Aquaman stuff. And obviously, if you're casting Jason Momoa, you're casting something to be a badass. You're not casting him to be not a <laughs> badass. Uh, so we'll have to see what happens with all of that. Um, you know, I think it has the potential to be exciting, right? I, I think that... Um, you know, the Shazam thing is the most interesting one because it does have a very delicate 
tone to balance. I mean, I think the Ordway stuff would be a good measure mm-hmm. for them to go for because it's serious, absolutely, but it still has a little bit of that 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 adventure fun to it. Um, so you, you have to see. Yeah. What I was, no, what see, I, was. I think you could make that movie and have it be Brendan Fraser's Mummy. Right. Yeah. In tone mm-hmm. and tenor, that the scary stuff is scary, but mm-hmm. not so much that it, you're nuts. Mm-hmm. That you can't. It's not the Evil Dead, right? Yeah, but there's still a, a hide the kid's eyes a little bit. <laughs> but set it set it in Egypt the way Ordway did. Parents are tomb raiders or whatever you'd like to call them. You know, they're in there for King Tut's riches or whatever. <laughs> Could be some fun. You know, it's funny, Justin. What would you think of a Green Arrow Black Canary movie? That would work. I mean, <laughs> that sounds actually pretty good to me. I don't watch Arrow. So, but I know I know the two characters. Like, I get a big kick out of them in um, reading Injustice. Mm. Um, they play off each other terrifically yeah. in Injustice. So, just from that alone, I would sign up for that. Right, a Mr. and Mrs. Smith of superheroes kind right, of yeah. thing could, yeah, there you could go. really work and be something very different. Yeah, absolutely. Which, of course, they won't do. No, no, but no. What no. the heck? We put it out there, so I want my check. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Okay. So, or, apparently, or, or maybe, we're going to get a Wonder Woman solo film. Mm-hmm. They've been playing around with it. Where are the rest of the female characters in this, like, ima- not imaginary, but proposed list of movies? Where are the girls? Well, let's be fair to DC. If they announce a Wonder Woman movie, they're ahead of Marvel with announcing a female-led well, yes. superhero film. Right. So, I mean, you can't do... I don't think if you're DC, you can do anyone else before Wonder Woman, right? Um, it's tough. You know, it's tough to do... Batgirl, you know, as a movie without first introducing that character somehow in the Batman universe and explaining there, not only there's there's Batman, but there's also characters who are now following in Batman's stead, you know, who take up the Batmantle. Um, You know, like you said, I mean, a Black Canary thing would be cool, but again, we don't even know what this universe is going to look like yet. All we have is Man of Steel. All we have is the characters introduced there. We, you know, we we, we don't know if... Kara Zor-El is going to be a character in this universe. There's there was a hint of it, obviously, in Man of Steel that that Supergirl would be a, a factor um, within that missing pod in the ship that oh, he's right. in. I forgot about that. Um, and she's also kind of in that. They did that like prequel comic to Man of Steel, and she was in that comic as as well. Hmm. Um, you couldn't so, do an Aquaman movie without Mera. Well, you, yeah, you, you you could. I mean, well, yeah, <laughs> they might. You wouldn't want them to do that, but um, lonely. It seems sea. like though it would be doing a Superman movie without Lois Lane. Well, yeah, well, yeah, but I don't, the thing is, like, I, my only huge exposure to Aquaman is the New 52 stuff. I do not know how much she's a factor before the New 52. She was always around. Okay. She was always around. All right. Um, so if you're going to make a female character in an Aquaman movie, your go-to is probably going to be Mara. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we don't, and we don't know, like, in, in these Flash movies, in, in in the Green Lantern movie, we don't know what characters are going to fill out the roster. We would just know the names of the movies, right? So we don't even know what how these female other female characters are going to rope in yeah. to to their stories. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. I, I mean, still don't even know who the Green Lantern is. Exactly, could it be John Stewart or Hal or Kyle or no idea. Yeah. I just want to make sure that everybody's invited to the party. Yeah, absolutely. And the Rock. Yeah. Who are you playing? It's Shazam. Oh, come on. It's just Shazam. I know, but how long are they going to dangle this mm-hmm. carrot? NYCC, like, you got to give me something. I don't think they wanted to dangle it at all. I think The Rock just kind of went rogue. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Yeah. You know, it's not a... Oh, yeah. Do you smell what I'm cooking? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this is from Ryan Carroll on Twitter, and he says, Do you feel it's better to review comic book movies as a fan, or do you judge them not as an adaptation, but just as a movie? Justin. 
I, mm, from for me, separating myself, like let's take Guardians for instance, I can't look at Guardians and see Thanos on screen and not be like, this is a mi-. like stand up. Do you guys see what you're like? Do you guys see what's on the screen? Like, mm-hmm. do you have any idea what this means? That would be extremely hard for me to separate myself <laughs> um, from that. So I don't know. You guys are the the, the people who well, actually review the movies. <laughs> um steve well i mean if i I'm, and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go too far into this but i i just saw the ninja turtles movie it is based off of comic book properties um it was very very the movie was a piece of shit but it was very difficult to watch it as a fan but the movie was uh, forget the fanboyisms, forget all of that nostalgia stuff the movie was offensive on every level in regard to filmmaking in general so in that I went as a as a like I went as a fan, but I was reduced to being that guy in the audience that was then looking at it from like a filmmaker's or or you know judging it on its merits as a film. It was the worst movie I've seen all year, and I so was you really liked it, dude. I was I was so willing to <laughs> forgive a bunch twice. of stuff. So no, I have not seen it twice. <laughs> I paid six dollars for that garbage. Um, but it's it's really difficult. It's actually a really good question, Ryan. But I think the lines are very blurred. I've known that, like when we went to go and see Guardians. Okay, I went into Guardians seeing it as a Marvel movie. I honestly did not have the Bendis run. I haven't read the Abnet stuff, but I did not have the Bendis run in my head at all. Like not even for a nanosecond was I like, oh, this isn't like the comic. It had nothing to do with that. It was Marvel doing something new and doing it really well. And my care for whether or not it was like the comic or not was way out the window well into the first two minutes of the movie. Mm. Um, I'm going to lean on the side of fan as opposed to like journalism Mm -hmm. because we love this stuff. Well, I mean, he's not saying journalism. He's saying just taking it as a movie, not as... Uh, adaptation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It, I think it depends on the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take something like Man of Steel, mm-hmm. which I didn't care for, or Amazing Spider-Man 2, which upon a second watch was even worse than the first time I watched it. And, you know, I, I fall the pieces over it, but there are other movies like Guardians that are just flat out amazing films. Bob, what about you? Uh, here's the thing. I believe genre movies for, for fans of them as I am too. You need to have a split mindset a little bit. You have to be able to rank them against each other. There's a guidebook, there's a newsletter that came out of Chicago for a long time called The Psychotronic Film Guide. And a psychotronic film is monsters, horror, sci-fi, spies, rock and roll, Elvis, reefer madness, so on and so on and so forth. And he'll revel in really terrible movies because for those of us who love giant bug pictures, well, they're all great and who cares? But you know enough not to say this giant bug movie is not, forget that it isn't Citizen Kane, it's not King Kong either, mm. the original, that, that there's a difference. When we reviewed Days of Future Past, I gave it three different reviews. Mm-hmm. As a Fox X-Men movie, it's three and a half stars. It's right there with X2 for me. As a motion picture motion picture, it was still three stars. Really well done. It's confusing if you're not into comic books, this time travel stuff, what's going on? As an adaptation of John Byrne and Chris Claremont's Days of Future Past, it's one star. It's a piece of crap. <laughs> so it's it, it it just lost a lot of the stuff. So you've got to you got to balance 
the thing that depends what audience you're then giving your review to in a certain way. It isn't fair to rank, I do like Dolph Lundgren Punisher. <laughs> I think it has moments. It's a really like interesting movie. action movie. It's a lousy Punisher movie. It's a lousy movie at a lot of levels, but even though he's good, he's got one note, and mm-hmm. poor Louis Gossett has nothing to do, and he's a really great actor. So, okay, you want to put on a movie for 90 minutes and watch this guy who's supposed to be the punisher shoot a lot of people and do kung fu, whatever, great. Mm-hmm. Compare it to Avengers, no. Compare it to Dirty Harry, no. Mm-hmm. You might have fun. So... We really need to, for my way of thinking, I have to put myself, depends who I'm, who's asking the question mm-hmm. as to what review they're going to get from me. I'm going to try to triangulate. Yeah. So, I mean, I think context is obviously incredibly important. You know, it, it's it's part of the reason why we don't really put scores on things at the on the website. You know, it's it's a, it's a, it's a dedicated choice because... The, I mean, I, I don't make me wrong. I love reading scores on, on yeah. stuff. I love star ratings. I love 9.0s. I love all that stuff. But I'm the guy who like looks at the score and goes like, okay. And then like maybe I'll read the review if, if I really feel like it. This way, people can read the review or listen to us talk about the movie and get a context of what we're talking about. Um, it, it's tough, right? Because if you really, really love something, um, it's disingenuous in some ways you know, you love the source material. It's just some ways to say like, you don't care and you're going to review the movie in, in a dispassionate way, obviously. Um, you know, but there's, there's a lot of sins you can commit as a reviewer, which is when you compare things too much to other things, it's a problem. When you are too beholden to the source material, it's obviously a problem. Um, but those are all factors in how you, how you talk mm-hmm. about things. The thing, the movie I always bring up and the story I always bring up is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, right? Um, as a fan of the Stephen King, The Shining, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining is a sacrilegious piece of garbage. You know, mm-hmm. it it completely, completely changes the the physical and actual meaning of what Stephen King's book is about. Not just plot points. What the book is about. That book is not about a crazy ass dad. You know, um, it's about a kid and his dad who has problems. You know, and, and and it's about how their lives are shaped by this force that exists in this. In this in this hotel, that's not what Stanley Kubrick's Shining is about. Stanley Kubrick's Shining is about Jack Nicholson. That's what that that's what that story is about. It's a boogeyman story, and it's yeah. a sentence of madness. The Shining, Stanley Kubrick's Shining, is a fantastic movie. It is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. So there is a very big divide there. Now, people who haven't read who haven't read Stephen King will not give a crap that it's not like the Stephen King book. And that's kind of where I always fall. I try to think about it when I try to give opinions. So like you're saying, Bob, who you're talking to. If you went to see, um, you know, a movie like The Shining, and you had never read the book, and somebody which all they did was complain and review about how it wasn't like the book, that review is worth nothing to you, you know. Or if you're looking to go see the movie and you haven't read the book, again, that review is worth nothing to you because all something is complaining about something that doesn't matter, you know. It's like this thing, the other thing that exists in a completely different medium, it's not like that thing. So, uh, you know, I hate it. What does that tell you? It tells you nothing. If you've read the book and you read you heard that review, you go, okay, I know I'm gonna have problems with stuff in, in this movie. You know, you look at something like, um, you know, the the Winter Soldier movie, right? That we just watched. It's not really like the Winter Soldier book. I mean, it shares <laughs> themes, it shares ideas, it shares characters, but it's not really that story. It's a very very different story. It's still a great movie and a great 
comic book movie, but as a straight adaptation of of The Winter Soldier, it's just okay. You know, I look at stuff like the Lord of the Rings movies, right? I love the book so much. The Peter Jackson movies are faithful in spirit to the to the Lord of the Rings books. Not so faithful in plot in a lot of places. It cuts out very large swaths. It does certain things. Like there's a moment in the second movie in the Helm's Deep battle where like elves show up to help the humans, which is not something that would ever happen in the books. But it's a very entertaining scene. It's it's a good scene. It sets the stage for something later. So you, as a fan of the movies, I have to go. Okay, I accept it. You know, it, it's not it's not what I wanted. It's not what I what I, what I would have done. But it, it it fits here. It's a good scene, and I think that as fans in general, we get very wrapped up right in in the minutia of everything, and sometimes that stops us from seeing the forest for the trees as far as what we're watching. Um, you know, if, if I were to look at something, I don't want to. I, I I hate to keep we always bring up this movie, but look at something like Man of Steel. Outside of it being a Superman movie, I have issues with the movie anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and I try to look at it that way. Obviously, a lot of that stuff and that review is a lot of hung up on the fact that it feels not right to the character. And that's about, you know, source material. Um, and, and so that review is a double-edged sword. Um, I remember way back when, um, way back, it's like 10 years ago or something, but when Passion of the Christ came out. And trying to have a discussion about that movie in any sort of cinematic terms was very difficult, right? Because it's very wrapped up in emotion, emotion with people. And people's beliefs in religion. So when I would try to have a discussion about that movie as far as the plot goes and as far as the filmmaking goes, I got you know yelled at and screamed at and you know um, you know you, you you don't you don't understand like it, it, this this is how it happens so that you know they show. I'm like that's fine. You can say whatever you want and that's your belief. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discount your beliefs. You do whatever you want to do. But as a movie, I don't care about anyone in the movie. No. Uh, and you have to be able to separate yourself if you're reviewing something. If you're not reviewing something. Don't don't. Who does it matter? You know, yeah. just watch the movie and feel how you're gonna feel about it. Hate it, love it. What's yeah, because nobody's relying on your opinion to whether they're gonna spend money, and that's what it all comes down to, right? Is that um, when I see other movies, you know, my brain is kind of trained to talk about them in this way because um, of film school and stuff like that. But you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff when you're just seeing a movie. When we talk about a movie, if people spend their money on something, we want to make sure that we're giving them a, a, a multifaceted opinion, whether it's emotional and edu- educational and analytical all those things matter in a movie review because i've come this this thought really where like i used to like qualify why i like something or try to qualify what other people like something oh i liked it i like because you were a kid you liked it because you were in this mood or that mood it doesn't matter if you like a movie you like a movie you know mm-hmm. that's it, a it, personal taste issue exactly Absolutely. it doesn't matter like don't let people tell you why you don't like a movie if you don't agree with us on a movie review that's right. fine. Like, you know, uh, but I, I think that it's a very, it's a line that we walk all the time, you know? And it, funny, we talked about reviewing comics a few months ago and like how our, we think about it. Someone's like, it's not that serious. Just review the comic books. Just, you know, and I said to the person, we take it seriously. So you don't have to take it seriously. Like that, that's the whole point of it. You read them, you have a great time reading them. We read them. We have to, you know, pick them apart and talk about them. Like, yeah, we gotta analyze. like they're a, yeah. a te- a, a English textbook. It's, a completely different world. Yeah. Like Wednesdays take a whole new meaning to me now that I'm writing for the site. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a thing. It's, it's, it's a thing. Um, so we have a couple of people, um, Johnny Morales, um, uh, Nicholas Sato, and um, who else was it? Uh, Flashe on Twitter all asked us about our favorite books of the year. Oh, God. And books that are either they're coming out now, not books that we're anticipating, books that are out now that we've enjoyed uh, during this year. Um 
Justin. Can we can we give one and go around yeah, so that yeah. we don't have to do all at once? You can just do one. Yeah, I don't all care. Right, cool. Yeah, you just do one. Um, what's something you really love this year, Justin? Low. Low? Low number one. I absolutely loved that book. Awesome. Um, I reviewed it for the site, and uh, I usually read image in trades. I'll pick up one issue, and um, if I like it, then I'll be like, all right, I'm on, I'm on board for the trade, because I just feel like they, they read better that way. Mm. Um, I had just read Black Science, like the first volume of Black Silence like, uh, not that long ago. And I read it and I had a discussion with Steve about it and he's like, it feels like Black Science, which is totally fine to me. Like, I like Black Science a lot. So um, I know you guys talked about it on mm. the um, the show. I think it was like two weeks ago. I think so. But I, uh, I really liked it. I loved the art. I loved everything about it. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, you spoke, for me, Black Science is one of those books, one of my favorite books of the year. Uh, absolutely. Um, it's It's been one of those books that has just uh, taken me by storm as far as uh, the hard sci-fi aspect of it and, and the pulp nature of it and the noir nature of it has all been great and very obviously mind-bendy as well with, with what we're talking we're talking about identities and all this other stuff. So um, Black Science is definitely on there. It's a right. long wait for trade two for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bob, what about you? Uh, for a series, Ms. Marvel, which has struck me in a way that nothing has since first reading Spider-Man 50 years ago. That is a new character with traits I can recognize, a human being that seems as an actual teenage girl would. So really, really digging that one. <laughs> Steve, what about you? Deadly Class. Nice. A lot of Remender on this list. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I absolutely positively love Deadly Class. It has got a, a flair to it and an attitude to it and often harkens back and or just takes right from materials that I've loved pretty much for over maybe even going on like 15, 20 years with uh, being a big fan of Hunter S. Thompson and their whole trip to Las Vegas and pretty much finding my second favorite movie of all time done by Rick Remender through an assassin school. It was those last three issues of Deadly Class were like if if comic books were fireworks going off in your hands those issues were heaven for me when i saw hunter s thompson wandering the halls where deadly class was kind of holed up in this this whole acid trip and going to circus circus and all of these things and they actually bother to put in the panel and they directly quote him and all of these things that it speaks to me on a literary level and on a comic book level that a lot of other books have not been able to like grab my attention and go like, hey, this thing you already love is going to pull from the source material that you've loved almost your whole life, and they're going to marry it, and it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Deadly Class is one of my favorites. Uh, for me as well, Seconds. Is definitely, I was is, just going to ask if I yeah. could say that. Yeah, it's definitely, you're going to ask if you could say it. Well, I was going to ask if I could do another. I didn't know if we were going to do one more round. Yeah, so. we'll do a few. Yeah, no, we could, we'll, do, we'll, do, we'll do two so we can move on to some other questions. But Seconds definitely is, is up there for me as one of my favorite things of the entire year. Um, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley, I, 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 he hit it out of the park for me. Um, the themes and the characters mm-hmm. and the energy of it. You know, it, it's it's Scott Pilgrim grown up a, a little bit, you know. Which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually didn't know it was coming out. Like I, I had fallen off the train. Like I, I kept like looking for updates on seconds, and then just somehow missed. And all of a sudden, it's like it's out today. <laughs> and I read it, and I liked it a lot at first. But it, I needed this it to sit with me for a few days, and then it, I really it dawned on me how much I really loved it. Like I loved the progression you could tell in his writing. Um, 
Robin, you were talking about this um, before the the games podcast last week. Like, it's a much more adult book than you realize. Like, there's more adult themes in there, and um, it was great. I love that book. It, you know, th- that and Low, probably my book of the year. But um, hmm. I'll just also throw in Sex Criminals because oh well, yeah. How can you leave hmm. that out? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. Bob, what about another one from you? A couple of one shots. Loved Black Canary Zatanna. Mm. Oh God, um, so good. Paul Dini, Joe Canones. It bridges last year and this year, though. I will tell you the movement. Okay. Nice. Hmm. Awesome. Steve, another one from you. Alex and Ada. Um, you know, Justin talked about it earlier. I I share in his sentiments about the book. I mean, I've been championing uh, some of our fine listeners have gone through the trouble of nicknaming me Luna Boy on the <laughs> podcast. Uh, it's totally true, but honestly... If you want to read a book that is a comic book, but that is at its core about a very real, even though it's science fiction, relationship, um, the levels that that book goes to because of the themes and the territory that it plays in um, really, really tickles my imagination. And back when I was reviewing the first couple of issues, and I know I said I would do them all and I've kind of (laughs) fallen off just because of time and whatnot, Um, Every issue forces me to ask another series of really big, big questions about commitment and about relationships and about how far are we willing to go that if you give into imagination, if you give into your carnal instincts as a human being and curiosity, this book begs you to ask those questions. And I absolutely love a book that after I put it down really makes me think about who I am. And even if it's in a fantasy scenario, what would I do if I were to be involved with an artificial intelligence and how far would I be willing to go to make sure that that person that I cared about had as much life as I possibly could give them? It's a very, very powerful book. Awesome. Awesome. Um, this question is from Vic Rushing, and he says, "Who is your favorite Green Lantern, and why?" Um, Steve. Oh God. Um. Oh. Duh. I am so not well versed in the Green Lantern. Can I pick a villain? No. If you're a Green Lantern. Damn it! I get Hal Jordan. Okay. That's all you had to say. Okay. <laughs> it's so. It seems so. It's okay. He can be your favorite. <laughs> He's really. I've read Guy Gardner. Guy Gardner really jived with me for a little while. I was reading. Um, what's the other Green Lantern Guardians of the something? Uh, well, there's New Guardians. New Guardians. And then there's Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, I was yeah. reading Jeff Johns like when Jeff Johns was still on the book and he was doing that whole huge thing. Mm. I read all of that stuff. I collected the whole thing. Um, I did that like 24 issue yeah, run yeah. in one shot. Um, but yeah, I get. I I like how. I guess uh, John Stewart's pretty awesome, but I'm I'm gonna go with how I'm very curious to find out about the new Green Lantern, the new female Green Lantern that's now entering the fray. Um, that's a potential. I need more from mm. her, but yeah, no, I would I would say probably Hal. Cool. Yeah, Bob. Well, I grew up with John Broom and Gil Kane's Hal, and it was so great to watch that take the turn when it was O'Neill and Adams doing mm. the Green Lantern Green Arrow thing. So it's gonna be Hal for me, though. The animated version, John Stewart, is right there, too. Mm, absolutely. Do you have any Green Lantern experience, Justin? Yeah. Um, I jumped in with Green Lantern around um, Blackest Night mm-hmm. and just picked it up from there and was like, I'm going to force this. <laughs> and uh, I really enjoyed it, the the whole John's run. Um, out of everybody, um, you know, you could say Hal Jordan, but for me, I really liked uh, the character he introduced 
within the last year or so, Simon Baz. Yeah, Simon Baz, yeah. And yeah, he is cool. I, I really like, just thought he was like a, a, a neat addition. Like His story was really interesting when they were telling it in Green Lantern. And so um, I know that they're picking up with him on Earth right now in mm-hmm. the books. So um, I've been off Green Lantern for like a couple of weeks, but I might jump back in now. Cool. Um, mine is Kyle Rayner. That's because I just grew up with it. That's why <laughs> he's the video game dude. He, he's the artist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's that's what I liked about him that he's picked because he's creative and that he he can make the most interesting constructs because he's an artist and he's a creator. And I just thought that was really cool. When I was a kid, I had that uh, parallax issue where it glowed in the dark. Mm. Where, uh, how Jordan has all the rings and Gathic Gathic yeah, comes yeah. and lands on Earth and gives the ring. It was like the first appearance of yeah, yeah. Kyle Rayner, and I was like, huh, I didn't know I had this. I was looking <laughs> through my old collection. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean he. He had, he had, you know, he had that unfortunate. His mask was really stupid in the nineties. <laughs> it was really, really stupid. But I like him. And in that, the first Johns, the 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 Green Lantern Rebirth. Yeah. When he brings um, Hal Jordan back, it's it's one of the better, actually one of the better Kyle Rayner stories because he's kind of the last one left to try, like stand against like this tide of parallax or or whatever. It's a really, really cool, really, really cool story. But I, I mean, I love, I love Hal, and I also love John Stewart a lot. I've never really jived with Guy Gardner. He's always been. Yeah. <laughs> He's been like a little too military. Little military. He's like a, just an annoying jock to me. You know what's really funny though? Um, I've always felt the same way. And the Injustice comic that comes out mm. every Tuesdays, the last couple have been this War of the Lanterns right. like, coming to Earth, and they write Guy Gardner as like this diplomat, like this. <laughs> this is the guy that everyone should be listening to, and it's such a <laughs> weird thing to like view him that way. <laughs> I know people. A lot of people really like him in the. Uh, JLI, right? The Justice right. League International? That, it's played for a joke. The yeah. whole series was. And his jerkiness mm-hmm. really played off very nicely with some crazy characters over there. That's a way to get into Guy, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't Batman like punch him in the face or something in one of those issues? Yeah, a lot of people punch yeah. him in the face. <laughs> um, awesome. That's a great question, Vic. Um, so Repstones, at Repstones on Twitter, wants to know, do you agree the occult magic avenue Marvel will be going down with Doctor, the Doctor Strange movie will be the most difficult to pull off? Bob. No. <laughs> next. next. <laughs> uh, I think, honestly, if Guardians had tanked, there'd be a problem. Well, we can stick with superheroes, but we can't go too cosmic. That this was embraced by so many people in the audience. We've already thrown Doctor Strange into the mix by mentioning his name. When he comes up again, it's, oh, wait, that's that Easter egg they threw us before. The vistas they showed us in Guardians, where you saw nowhere. It's so Ditko-esque. It would be floating rocks in other dimensions and Dormammu with his big flaming head and the mindless ones and rainbow bridges. <laughs> Why not? Mm-hmm. I there are so many vampires and werewolves and whatever in movies nowadays. Why not have some magicians? Why not have some sorcerers and good stuff like that there? I'm saying it won't be as hard as you think. They got a tree and a raccoon to work. <laughs> I just think that it's not going to matter because they don't, they don't try to qualify it. They just do it. You know, they're not trying to make excuses what they're doing. They're just going to do it and they believe in it. So it, if it's done well, it's going to come off the right way. Um, there was that great, I, I t- tweeted it, but there was that great interview with uh, Josh Brolin on IGN this past week where he talked about the Thanos stuff. And to hear his enthusiasm for it, um, you know, he said a lot of times you, you go into a movie and the director's asking you, like, what do you want to do here? He goes, why are you asking me what I want to do? I'm the actor. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> and he goes, you walk into Marvel and they have everything. They know everything they're going to do. They have, they handed me an encyclopedia when I got the, when I, when I took the role. 
Uh, um, and he goes, that's why you, you sign on to these movies without knowing. I, he's like, I know a couple things that are going to happen. For the most part, I don't really know what's going to happen, but I trust them. And he's like, they're, mm-hmm. he's like, they're so smart. They're so clever. He's like, they're so in love and nerdy with all this stuff that it's infectious and it makes you want to be part of it. Um, uh, and it, it was really cool to hear him say it. And he goes, he goes, my favorite part about it is that I'm like, usually, you know, I'm ahead of everybody. I know more about the movie than the director does. But in this age, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm playing catch up. And he's like, and it's a great feeling to try to catch up and just be where you guys are, like talking to the audience with these characters. So I think that's part of why that everything works with them, right? Is they just they believe in it, they know what they're doing. So I am so stoked for Strange. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, they've been teasing Strange for a long time. I mean, they threw his name out all the way back in Spider-Man Two, the Rami film. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I've been sitting here waiting for that <laughs> ever since then. So definitely bring it on. <laughs> Absolutely, Steve. What about you? Did they really throw his name out? Yeah, when they were talking, when when Jameson was talking about like what should we call Doc Ock, and yeah. uh, I forget the the actor's name who was always like dismissed by Jameson. He oh, was like Doctor. That's Raimi's brother. Yeah, yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought there was a relation yeah. there. Um, he's like Doctor Strange, and he's like that's actually really good. It's taken though. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. sweet. Um, so the question is: Are will, will it be Marvel's hardest yet to introduce the the magic element of the no. universe? No, no. I think I think once once I, I, Guardians of the Galaxy has really kind of like if you took if Marvel was a piggy bank, then you smashed it on the floor to go and buy a new baseball or something. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> anyway, um, no. I, I I think that the Marvel train and this sounds like such a commercial, and I apologize because I I can't stand this kind of stuff. But they've really set the pace for themselves they're doing their own thing and they have won the approval of so many people inside and outside of the box of the comic universes that people now trust them it's not just the actors or the people involved in making the films it's now the people going to see the films that trust them it's like i said if you ask somebody, oh, you want to go to the movies? Oh, what do you want to see? Oh, I want to see this. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's a Marvel film. Like, oh, they made another one? It's out already? Like, yeah, dude, Doctor Strange. Like, let's go. That, I feel like that's the attitude now. And mm-hmm. I really don't think it's going to be a problem. And if they're getting the dude that made Sinister to direct the film, you're talking about having yet another subgenre within the Marvel universe being made into a film that curiosity is going to win out. Say, you know, what kind of horror elements are they going to have in this Doctor Strange film that this guy that's making it is going to put into the film and just how far are they going to push that? I want to go and see that movie just to find that out. Forget everything else that's cool about it. I just want to see how they're going to balance that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I don't think it's going to be a problem for them at all. Until they make like a series of bad movies, which I don't see happening... People are going to trust them. There is now a new genre in film altogether, and Marvel is leading the pack. There's nothing to say that other people can't show up, but you know, DC will be doing their plan and stuff like that. They're just going to cement it even further. And who's to say with all these you know, comics being picked up and being turned into television shows, like stuff like The Strain, which is really good, by the way, if you're not watching it, um, the, like comic books are the new you know, the new thing to feed off of and all these properties are being bought up because they're great, great stories and people are thirsty for new entertainment. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. And for a lot of people, a lot of the quote unquote, the masses haven't been exposed to this stuff. So it's prime real estate for filmmaking and for television. Um, yeah, for, the strain was books first, by the way. Yeah, novels. Pa- uh, Paul Hogan. Yeah, novels. Um, no, not Paul Hogan. No, God. Chuck Hogan. Chuck, Chuck, Chuck Hogan. Hogan. I was Hogan. thinking of uh, <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> uh, he's, a great, he's a great prose writer. Um, so it's funny because, I mean, obviously Guardians, because of the character roster and how they weren't very well known, was a big risk in some ways. To me, Marvel's biggest risk was Thor. That was, to me, that was the movie where it was, to me, it was like, this is going to make or break it right here. This is going to be... Because this is beyond a guy in a suit. This is beyond, um, you know, obviously Captain America hadn't come out yet, but this is beyond a, a, a soldier in World War II. This is saying this is an alien god who has a magic hammer who can fly through the air uh, and do all of these things. To me, that was the movie where I was like, wow, this is, this is the big chance. Uh, and since they've done that, I think that was their biggest pill to swallow. I do think Doctor Strange, it, it introduces a whole new element to the universe and beyond that because guardians of the galaxy is is risky in like the the sense of like characters you know but it's a big space action movie which traditionally have been popular movies you can't really i can't really tell you oh this is a movie really popular movie that stars a sorcerer you know there aren't a lot of those movies that just come to mind no there's not the star wars you know for that so i think it will be a little tricky i don't think it's gonna be a problem because i think much like pixar in like the wally up you know, when they were in, when they're at that point in their their kind of uh, run, it doesn't matter. You, you know, just see it. You you'll see go it no see a movie what. with a silent yeah. robot because it's Pixar. And you know, it's going to be amazing. You'll go see a movie about an old man who flies in a way in a house of balloons because it's Pixar. and It's going to be amazing. So I, I think it'll be they'll they'll be fine in, in, in that way. Um, let's see who else we got. Here. Uh, um, let me see what should we ask here. Oh, yeah. There was a good one here. Okay. Uh, Luciano wants to know, seemed almost everyone was excited by the new creative team and direction for Batgirl. What other DC titles do you think would benefit from a similar change in tone and direction? Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Bob, why don't you go first? Wonder Woman. Okay. (laughs) Just, I got in trouble for saying this on the forums, but I really think in this day and age, we were at fourth world last friday they were selling uh, comic-con tickets they had mm-hmm. a whole bunch over there so i was in the store with a friend of mine whose son is just getting into this he's 17 now and she was trying to get him tickets and managed and she managed to secure some thursday tickets and I'm, I'm looking in the store and it cemented this idea that i had written on the forum there's a, a couple with their two little girls but i had to be four and six or something wearing wonder woman t-shirts well, there's not a Wonder Woman comic book that's on the stands today that they could read. So giving them, look, have the Wonder Woman book they're going to they're make, but have that sidebar book that could be the gateway drug in essence for a whole class of young ladies who might want to read this hero in, a, in an easily accessible and digestible form that's fun and light in a way that the book was 70 years ago and 50 years ago and even into the Perez era. I think it's a natural. All right. Justin. I'm sitting here looking at your Justice League wall because I don't read a, a ton of uh, of DC. And the characters I do read, I do like the, I do like the creative teams on there. But just um, just to have an answer, I'll, I'll say Green Lantern. Uh, I feel like the book's taken a, a, a bit of a dive um, since John's left. Um, and so I'd like to just see somebody else come in there and like just reinvigorate my love for the book the way that I was feeling when Johns was at the peak of his run. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Steve? Does it have to be a book that's currently running, or can I pick something that I want to come back? Currently running. Damn it. Because you have to reimagine a book that has already has a, a cemented feeling and tone. <sighs> I hate to say this, but I'm really, I'm not reading a whole lot of DC. Um, Batwoman. I'll say, Bat. you know what? I'll say Batwoman and Aquaman. I haven't read, but no, I can't say that. That's not fair. I haven't really <laughs> read them. Um... I don't know. Honestly, I, I've whittled down my DC pull list because of the fact that I'm not into a lot of what they're putting out right now. I just I don't care about as I don't care as much about these characters in the DC 52 as opposed to when I go back and I read some of the old trades that I've picked up and they're great, great stories. And some of the some of the characterizations of heroes and villains and anti-heroes and stuff in this new 52 they're just not as interesting to me it's part of the reason why i'm reading batman eternal and not future's end you know i'm just not interested in what grifter is up to i I just don't care Mm -hmm. um i I really i i hate to say it i mean i have i have series i would like to see come back or be introduced into the dc universe but i don't have anything that i would like to see revamped it seems like anything that i wish would get bumped there especially with the bat books they're doing that that temple smith mm-hmm. book becky clunan's coming in they're doing some really really great stuff with that and the the dc books that i'm reading i'm very 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 happy with um and there's even some stuff that i mean to pick up that i'm not picking up justice league united is one of them um i really i got zero and i dropped off i shouldn't have done that i regret it i want to catch up um there's not a whole hell of a lot but it's just a matter of having the money to buy it. But honestly, a lot of the heroes that I would love to see in stories, they're a part of the group. The Justice League, Justice League of America, and even Justice League Dark have encompassed and covered so many of the characters that I really love from the DC Universe, even Forever Evil. You got like everybody in that, that I'm content with what I've read from those from those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't mind another Animal Man book, but he's in the book that I'm not reading. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I have to get I have to get back on the ball with some DC stuff. I've just been very disenchanted with some of the stuff. I'm hoping that this kind of revitalization that's happening within the Bat Universe does really well, and other people take cues to kind of mix things up a little bit. Hmm. You know, like when I read when I read DC, it's because I'm in the mood to read DC. And if I read a DC book, I tend to read a couple of DC books in a row because I have to be in that zone. I have to be in that mood. Um, and when I am, I really enjoy it. Hmm. Um, for me, it's funny because even though I still enjoy, I've been, I enjoyed it from the beginning and then I've enjoyed the new run, I st- the, the Flash still isn't like exactly the way I want it. And again, like that's just a personal preference. But, um, you know, I... The, the, the art is good and when you're wrong and I think the stories of interesting and the stuff they're doing with Wally it, it is cool um, but you know when I go back and I look at the Mark Wade stuff or look at the Jeff Johns stuff and I mean the Jeff Johns stuff is, you know because it's Jeff Johns there's darkness in it of course but I just there's something about those characterizations that I just I, I just like more you know and that's the one book that's still and it's because I hold it to a higher standard than you know grifter or something like that mm. you know I, I i want it to be a certain way and it's not that way right now for me mm. um very sciencey sort of flash you'd want to see i don't know if it's sciencey I don't, it's something i just want a little bit more adventure you know to the character i i, I want 
you know, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I, what I want it to be, but, you know, there, <clears throat> there was something about those... I mean, again, it's, and that's Wally as the Flash, obviously, when you're talking about the Mark Wade mm-hmm. stuff, but there's more of a sense of fun and, and adventure to it um, in that character. And, I mean, look, I love... I think Barry's a great character. Um, and he's obviously lighter than a lot of the other DC characters, but I... There's something about the well the way Wally was that um, is just special to me. You know, maybe it's because I grew up with it. Maybe it's because the animated series was Wally, stuff like that. But that humor and that wit and, and that sense of I'm just doing this thing, you know, and I, and, I, and it's you know mm-hmm. kind of like half cocked hero type of thing has always really yeah. appealed to me. Yeah. And as much as I love Jeff Lemire's um, Arrow, Green Arrow stuff, and we're gonna transition. I don't know what that if it's if it's like the show, we're still gonna be in that kind of that dark area. I would like a little bit more now that we've gone through a, a, a really great run by Lemire on Green Arrow. I'd like to see something more old school, more you know, mm-hmm. more kind of forties, you know, romantic comedy than what we've been getting with the book. Yeah. How about if we do a Teen Titans that's Wally, Dick... Oh, Teen Titans. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I can yeah. Teen Titans is the number one. I just yeah. want them to be the characters that I know that they are. I want them to be kids. That's what I want them to be. Yeah. Smiling, having fun, doing crazy stuff. I just I just looked through... like I always take pictures of my, my comic mm. book hauls just as a visual reference for what I've been reading and stuff like that. In the past several months, it's all Bat books. Mm. Whether it's Batgirl, Batman and Robin, Batman Eternal, Batman... It's all Batman. There's maybe three or four titles that aren't Grayson. I picked up the first issue of Teen Titans. It's all stuff that's pretty. It's brand new, more or less. Like they re, you know, reconfigured the creators and stuff. But I mean, you know, it's no offense to DC. It's just where I'm at with them right now. I mean, we founded this on the DC 52, and I was reading a whole bunch. I just do not find myself wanting to be with those characters as much because I get so much of them in other books but yeah my whole my whole damn list is fucking bad books <laughs> it depresses me I'm not I'm really I mean you asked me what could be revitalized a whole bunch of them to be mm. honest you know if I could get ranty here <laughs> I would love to add more more DC titles to my book they just don't call to me like like some of the other characters and heroes do and send your letters to Steve not me this time <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Trust me. I, you know, and I. You'll try be to, back on board when, no, they, I when will. things start to change. Over and I try bit. to. I try to give to anybody. Anybody that sees my pull list, that sees the pictures every week, you know that I'm reading a ton of stuff. And I just, I Swamp Thing. I loved. I would love to be continuing to read Swamp Thing, Charles Soule Swamp Thing. But I just, after like uh, an arc and a half. I, I just I couldn't justify another four dollars on my pile anymore with something that I was only half interested in. So sorry to take up so much time. I mean, you mean it's a, like a DC support group with Steve. <laughs> I need one. Just man. buy the books you want to buy, man. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You'll be okay. It's Hi, a- Steve. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So um, there's a big question that we we've been asking to, to talk about for a couple of weeks and. We're already running extremely long right now, so I think we're going to put this question off until next week. Um, we got asked about the um, Mile High comics okay. in San Diego, um, and there's also the um, San Diego suing uh, Salt Lake Comic Con. So, so we're, we'll talk about both of those next week. They're kind of bigger issues. I don't want to scram, cram them in to the very end of the show um, and kind of have to shortchange them. But we hear you. You want us to talk about them, and we will 
end up talking about them. Um, but let's talk about what's on the shelves right now. So many books today. So uh, Rachel Rising number 27 is out. Um, from Action Lab, we have First Hero number one, Midnight Tiger number one, and Skyward number eight. Um, from Archie Comics, we've got uh, Kevin Keller number 14, and Sonic the, Hedgeho- Sonic the Hedgehog number 263. From Avatar Press, we have Cross Badlands number 59, God is Dead number 18, um, and God is Dead, Books of Axe, Omega. Um, we've got uh, Boom Studios, Clive Barker's Next Testament, number 12, um, Hexed, number 1, Thomas Alsop, number 3. Uh, from Dark Horse Comics, we have Abe Sapien, number 15, Blackout, number 4 of 4, Creepy Comics, number 17, Dark Ages, number 1 of 4, Ghost, number 7, um, we've got Lobster Johnson, Get the Lobster, number 5 of 5. Um, we've got Star Wars, number 20. Um, we've got Terminator Salvation, The Final Battle, number 8. And X, number 16. Um, from DC Comics, we've got Astro City, number 14. Batgirl, number 34, which is the final Gail Simone issue. Um, well, the final in-story issue. What do you mean? There's a next month is five years. Oh, later, wait, so she's, she's a, doing that issue. She's gonna do the one shot. Oh, cool! I didn't realize she was doing that issue. So that's great. Um, but the last of the the, the, the arc, the story, right? Yeah, um, we've got Batman Eternal number nineteen, Birds of Prey number thirty four, which is the final issue, Coffin Hill number ten, Constantine number seventeen, um, FPP Federal Bureau of Physics number thirteen. Um, we've got Green Lantern Corps number thirty four, Harley Quinn number nine. Um, Injustice Gods Among Us Year 2 number 9 we've got Justice League United number 4 New 52 Futures End number 15 New Suicide Squad number 2 um, we've got Scooby-Doo Where Are You number 48 Smallville Season 11 Chaos number 1 Superboy number 34 which is also the final issue mm-hmm. Superman Wonder Woman number 11 and World's Finest number 26 um, from Dynamite Entertainment uh, we've got Devilers number 2 We've got Doodle Jump Comics, number three. Uh, we've got Lady Zorro, number two. Legendary, a steampunk adventure, number six. We've got um, Pathfinder, City of Secrets, number four. Red Sonia, number 11. Uh, let's see here. IDW. We've got uh, Doberman, number two. We've got Godzilla Cataclysm, number one. Judge Dredd Anderson, Psy Division, number one. Littlest Pet Shop, number four. Max Maximize, number 10. Um, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, number 22, Star Trek, number 36, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 37, um, Transformers Primacy, number one. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't have guessed that one. No, I know. That's why I didn't ask you to do it. Um, X-Files Season 10, number 15. From Image Comics, we have Burn the Orphanage, Reign of Terror, number four, Dead at 17, The Blasphemy Throne, number one of seven, Death Vigil, number two, we've got Dream Merchant, number four of six. Genius, number two of five. Ghosted, number 12. Red City, number three. Rise of the Magi, number three. Sex Criminals, number seven. Shudder, number five. Skull Kickers, number 30. Starlight, number five. Thief of Thieves, number 23. Walking Dead, number 130. Where is Jake Ellis, number four of five. And uh, Zero, number 10. No Wicked and the Divine? No Wicked and the Divine, it's a reprint. Boo. Yeah. Um, let's see. Marvel Comics, we've got All New X-Men, number 30. Amazing Spider-Man, number 5. Amazing X-Men, number 10. Avengers Undercover, number 8. Avengers World, number 11. Captain America, number 23. Um, Captain Marvel, number 6. Deadpool, number 33. Fantastic Four, number 8. Um, <laughs> Hulk, number 5. 
Inhuman number three. Wow. Um, we've got uh, Nightcrawler number five, Nova Special number one, Original Sin number seven of eight, Spider-Man num- 2099 number two, Thunderbolts number 29, Ultimate FF number six, United States of Murder, Inc. number four, Wolverine number 11, X-Force number eight, and X-Men number 18. From Oni Press, we've got Princess Ugg number three, and uh, Scott Pilgrim Color Edition volume five, Scott Pilgrim versus the Universe. Nice. Uh, let's see here. From Valiant Entertainment, we've got um, Archer and Armstrong, number 23. Armor Hunters, number uh, 2 and 3, I guess, are out. Unity, number 10. Um, and that's it for them. And then Zenoscope, we've got Grim Fairy Tales presents uh, Inferno Rings of Hell, number 1, <laughs> and Wonderland, number 26. Don't you remember that great Grim Fairy Tale? Inferno Rings of Hell? Yeah. <laughs> Dad used to read it to me just before I went to bed. (laughs) So let me read you Inferno Rings of Hell. (laughs) In exactly that voice, too. Um, All right, so that's it for the books that are on the shelves right now. Um, If you guys want to get in touch with us, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com, at talkingcomics on Twitter, or facebook.com slash talkingcomics. My personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve? I am at dead underscore anchorus on Twitter. Justin. I am Matt Jorok, J-O-R-O-A-K. And Bob, email address. Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Um, make sure you check out our family of podcasts, uh, Talking Games, which has these two idiots on it. What? Um, <laughs> what? Plus, that hurts. Plus Jackie Turner and uh, Rob Neumeyer. Yeah. <laughs> um, lots of Gamescom stuff to talk about this week. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Some big news. Um, uh, talking Movies just had an episode about uh, the Steven Soderbergh movie Che. They're doing their biopics oh, cool. uh, oh. run right now. I'm um, taking a little break from that next week, though, because I'm on the show, and we're doing a 2004 retrospective. Oh, so we're 2004? Over... Yeah, 10 years. That's random. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, it's not, very, it's not as random as I first thought. Um, we're going it just kinda... seems too soon for a retrospective, uh, yeah, I know. if you yeah. ask me. I... Uh, a lot of us, we're going to re- rewatch a bunch of our top 10 movies and then talk about them and kind of oh. reorder them and stuff like that. So uh, that, that'll be next week on uh, Talking Movies. Uh, we have The Misfits, which is recorded their Guillermo del Toro podcast, which is available now, and Talking Valiant with Adam Shaw, talking all about The Valiant. Hot damn. So we got a lot, we got a, a lot of family of podcasts. Um, We've grown a lot this year. We have. Next week, uh, we'll grow some more because all our new contributors are going to start contributing to the site next week. Oh, man. Um, That'll be awesome. we got a lot of great article ideas, a lot of great reviewers, some news people. We're going to have TV recaps. It's going to be great. The site's going to grow very, very, very big. Um, And uh, we're going to start planning our Women in Comics Week. It's a little later than usual, but we got caught up in a lot of other stuff. So um, if you guys have ideas or any people you want to be on the show, um, hit us up on Twitter. Um, if, they, if the people you want on the show have Twitter handles, put their Twitter handle in and let them know that you want to see them uh, on our show. Um, I think that's all the shilling I have to do for the, <laughs> for the Very side. well done. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'll shill for myself. I did a very good job. <laughs> nice job, Bobby. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so that's going to do it for the Talking Comics podcast for this week. For Steve. Uh, Suicide Squad would be my reboot book. Uh, Bob. Yikes. <laughs> and Justin. Adios. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. <laughs>